Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. On this week's episode, we'll be taking a look at the results from the Pittsburgh Regional Championships as well as the Yokohama Champions League tournament that took place this past weekend. There were 17, 1,800 players in Pittsburgh, over 3,000 players in Yokohama, and some maybe surprising results. We'll chat about that for sure, give our opinions and also talk about where the meta moves forward for the Barcelona special event this weekend. Uh, another question that we had was, are judges becoming less harsh on stream? Judging on stream has been pretty harsh over the past season. Small mistakes, DPLs pretty much automatically. There were some things that happened this weekend in Pittsburgh, though, that make us think there could be reason to believe things might be uh, having a little more nuance considered whenever making judging decisions we'll talk about that of course we will have guess that flavor text everyone's favorite segment of the podcast and there are a ton of brand new cards that were revealed during the champions league stream over in japan this weekend lots of crazy cards lots of big reactions from lots of players online you'll get mine in azul's here on this episode of uncommon energy and of course afterwards we'll have our weekly bonus episode live over on the Patreon, exclusive to our Patreon subscribers. My name is Chipper Chi, joined here as always by friend and co-host, Azul GG. What's up, Azul? How we doing? How did you enjoy Pittsburgh, <laughs> man? You had plenty of time to enjoy Pittsburgh, huh? I did have plenty of time to enjoy Pittsburgh because I dropped in day one, unfortunately. I had a tough run, Played, ran it back with the Mew, uh, the Fusion Mew. Um, yeah. Just had a rough run. Uh, I dropped at like three and three after round six. Um, but when's the uh, last Pittsburgh, time you even dropped from a tournament? I feel like it's, I mean, it's been I a minute. Dropped from, I played it out at Vancouver. Yeah. Um, even I was like four and four. I played out the last round to go five and four, I think, if I remember correctly. So I did five and four in Vancouver. I maybe dropped from uh, whatever the tournament was where Grant got top eight, where we played Reggie's. I forget which one that one was. I maybe uh, dropped in that one. Oh, I remember. Uh, was it Charlotte? I think so. I don't remember, to be honest. No, no, no. It was Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne. Yeah, it was Fort Wayne. Yeah. Uh, I maybe dropped in that one. I don't remember that one either. Uh, I know I didn't do very well. But yeah, rough run on this one, but not worried about it. Not a big deal. Um, Caleb and Grant still did decent. Caleb got top 16. Grant, unfortunately, got 33rd. Uh, so not uh, not the finish he was looking for overall, I guess. But hey, we went with the Fusion Mew again. It was still, I think, a solid play overall. Don't really regret it. Maybe there's a couple of adjustments we could have done different with the list. But uh, overall, yeah, Pittsburgh was uh, was fine. It wasn't anything super special um, overall. But you yeah, had a good time still. Pokemon events are always a good time. And how about you, Chip? How was your, is your, is your how was your, I guess, new job? Is your first time you've ever done anything like this at, uh, yeah, yeah. at a regional, right? Yeah, so we hadn't even talked about this on the podcast yet. So uh, I was in Pittsburgh. A lot of people kind of saw me walking around. I was in street clothes. I was not casting was not like head to toe in the suit or whatever so a lot of people were like oh are you playing no i was not playing i was not casting uh they added a new line a job to the production line at regionals this year where uh there's someone backstage who is dedicated to like pretty much the main role is just putting the cards up on the screen during game and keeping track of the lost zone counter and updating the rest of production when prize cards are going to be taken so they can uh, get replay of it. That's another new thing they added this year. We had replay at this regionals. We'd had replay at Worlds and yeah. the ICs, I think, but they added it, so it's going to be I at, was at ICs. regionals yeah, this year, um, which is good. So, like, you know, I was sitting there calling out, like, oh, 
catch this for the replay. You know, this knockout's coming, so the prize cam. I think the prize cam was more... I think we were catching the players taking the prizes a lot more often than maybe <laughs> in regionals past, but <laughs> you still miss it every once in a while. There's a lot going on backstage, but yeah, it was, it was, it's kind of cool that Pokemon added this. Uh, I'm still casting uh, at points this season. You know, this is not, you know, me doing this instead of casting, but pretty much they've just added this as a job for casters when they are, you know, you know, there's a bunch of us. So like they rotate us through, right so whenever someone would be off for a tournament they'll have an opportunity to still get some work in so that's pretty cool that pokemon added that the role i think in the credits uh, is called subject matter expert sounds really <laughs> fancy for someone who's just throwing some cards up on the screen uh reviewing some graphics and stuff like that too but yeah just kind of part of the production line so it was actually really cool um a whole different perspective on like what goes into you know these live stream productions how many people are back there working you know, I've worked with a lot of the people back there throughout the course of the last season or so, but it was a different capacity, like actually sitting down at the table at the desk for like the whole time dialed into like the production side of things. And also one of the other things I was doing was like keeping them updated on like where the tournament was at this many minutes past the round expire on overtime. Um, judges say there's this many, you know, minutes of extensions out on the tables still this is how long we're expecting to wait all those types of things so uh yeah it was pretty cool but uh i'm definitely looking forward to getting back into the booth at some point in the future as well yeah i'm surprised they didn't have like that role before it seems well, like they something did they probably... it was just one of the uh, casters who was on a break so yeah the but casters... there's so much less to get yeah i feel like there's like i mean yeah maybe maybe there's like less to be done about that but there's like so many so much more nuance you can add to the the role if it's something that's you're dedicated to doing um especially like you could build on that if you do that in the future as well did you stop them from i don't know if it happened on stream do they still uh pan over to people as they put their prize cards out the players as they put their prize cards out or have we finally removed that from part of the like between game one and two no no, no. like when they go when the players go to put their prize cards out do we see them laying their prize cards out at the beginning of the game of each game whenever we see them laying the prize cards out it shows the prize card camera with them putting them out there yeah yeah we still have that okay we need to remove that but <laughs> i think it's fine no i literally knew that i prized phoebe in my top four match against sander sure i said this before there like actually it needs to be removed from the game I from the stream it needs to be removed from the stream yeah yeah maybe so maybe it's something it's not, to... like, all you need to do is just like let let the player set up normally and then you flip over to the prize cam with just not while they're laying them out. And then if there is something important prize and there is like a gasp in the crowd, and even if the players do hear it this time around, um, you know, who knows who is it, whose prize card is it and what the heck is it, right? Um, yeah, but even still sometimes, like the players were setting them out at the same time for the most part. And sometimes it's like based on who reacts. Yeah, but like know. why Why would you have, why Why have it be a factor? No, sure. Yeah. I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. Yeah. Wait, uh, being on stream I don't think it adds anything as like close to, the, to playing you know, in the field like without a stream as yeah. possible right there will always be some difference right that's just kind of the nature of it but it should be as it should be as close to replicating an actual tournament game as possible i think i just don't think it i just don't think it adds anything like we don't need to see them it's cool to know what is prized yeah before the game starts you don't need to see the people laying them out one at a time uh to be able to see the prize cards after it. All, the only thing it does is potentially, I think, leads to the situation. But see, like I said, so the where, other like, side of that, though, is like we don't show the players playing it out, laying the prizes out, and then we show it while they're playing the game. 
right? Like that's the other option is like you. you no, you just have it. them wait. You have like so what you do. So what they do currently is like the players draw their hands, go through the mulligan process, then they don't lay out their prize cards, right? Um, and then they're told to lay out the prize cards and then begin the game. All you have to do is lay out the prize cards ahead of time, and then the camera can flip over to the prize cams, and then the players are still just told when to just start the game. It wouldn't come. Well, it doesn't work any... for games two and game three though, right? Because they're just trying to get into the game. You don't hold players between games say like oh, okay I you set your prize goes out just wait wait oh your time's ticking but just wait 30 seconds for our production i guess i guess it would affect game two and game three i guess that is true that's and that would affect game two and three game three slightly i don't know you could still probably flip over to a second for a second after they laid them out and then get to the player playing the game because you miss there's stuff still missed on stream constantly anyways like people like you're you're the wrong angles and i'm sure i'm sure like what you did like it sounded like tried to minimize that when you're like not looking at their hand as something's going on on the board or something like that or looking at their or you should be looking at their hand but instead you're looking at the board right but like you could flip to like if we if we flip to uh the prizes for a second and then we get back to the board state and you know someone's in the middle of a battle vip pass going first you know that's fine like i don't think that like is the end of the world you clearly see everything sure. that is developed especially on the first turn of a game like it's very little that's developed but then we have a situation do you remember what happened in finals of naic no what happened in finals ian went draw pass we missed his no cyrus went draw attach ian went oh. draw pass we got <laughs> to the game as cyrus was playing her second turn okay well that happened with doing the looking at the prize cards while they were laying them yeah, out so it sounds true, like it's gonna true, happen no matter true. what so <laughs> i think may as well just like minimize like the chances of it completely but it could be literally decide a game like literally if against me against sander in top four if sander like so what sander strategy was was going to turbo out the mewtwo v union which was the better of the two lines of play right but if sander knows my phoebe is prize all sander has to do is go lone mill tank and i probably lose right or it leaves it up to like b barrel coin flips and stuff like that so it's like a 50 50 maybe at that point who knows right um so i think it's just it, it's more likely to hurt it, like it it just hurts it the, the, there's the potential to hurt competitive integrity where the other way does not hurt competitive integrity and i've seen it come up multiple times now there's my match against sander um i'm trying to think about the other one that happened recently oh it was toward against shamansky right I don't know if they heard the crowd, but the crowd reacted when Shemansky prized the Vulpix, Vulpix piece, right? And based on that, Tor could have just been like, well, I'm just going to ignore Vulpix. If I don't think Shemansky can get a prize card anytime soon, if I ignore the Vulpix, then I can just get ahead and worry about the Vulpix later. I don't have the boss scale Vulpix turn two, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think it's no, just best totally to try fair. to avoid that uh, if we I can. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. It's far <laughs> from a perfect system, you know, and uh you know we're always looking for ways to make it better that is for sure um all right. but overall i mean i think the show's improved a lot the last year or so definitely yeah yeah things just come with time right and that stuff something like that i don't know it could be seen as more minor but it also you know in your instance it's definitely a big thing right of what happened been, to yeah. you so um, yeah, i just think it would look really it would just like it would look really bad if everyone understood that's why a match ended, especially like a finals or a top cut match where it's just like, oh, well, they heard the crowd and that's why they played this way. And that's literally the deciding factor. You should never play this way. But because they heard the crowd react, they knew what was prized. And based on what was prized, they played differently. And it's like it, this would completely just like ruin the whole like potentially whole top cut. Right. Like theoretically. Right. Having something like that intrusive enter the 
enter the space or enter the enter the game at that time right it's like someone shouting like it's like someone like you know looking over someone playing in a normal session be like he has boss in hand and then the other person <laughs> instead of researching plays iona or something right like yeah, yeah so it's literally the exact same thing so and you want to allow that on the uh you know playing out on the the, the field or whatever you called it the normal tables the non-stream matches so mm-hmm. I, don't know. I think it's just something that should just change they should try and figure out the best way to make it work and shift around or maybe have like a graphic at the beginning of the game where it shows the board state and then the prize cams pop up like have a separate graphic for it where it shows the main board state and then on each on the left and right side it pop, the players prize cards pop up well i mean we already have the thing away. that pops down whenever players take their prize cards right so like yeah so just like yeah just make just that flash that yeah that's fair. Yeah, just come that's up fair. with a different graphic or a different way to make the, the visual things work on i'm sure they can figure it out you got the you got a lot of space to work with you can make the board and the prize cards fit on the same screen or maybe just show one person six at a time or something Okay, I, w- I will bring it up to the proper people, <laughs> Azul. We will have this discussion, okay? <laughs> move it along, move it along. We'll move it along. And uh, speaking of moving along, let's get into our first topic here on the podcast as we are, uh, are already 13 minutes in of our intro, okay? We've got some results from the Pittsburgh Regional Championships. Largest regionals of all time. 1,778 players competing in the event. 187 day two, I want to say something like that. Massive, massive event. The bubble Almost was 200. gross when we get to, to day two things. Like, or I guess it wasn't necessarily the bubble was gross. It was more like people were at 34 match points in round 15 and sitting across other 34 match points players and had to play their games out because resistances and because of you know, a lot of people were going to bubble if everyone had just ID'd naturally. So yep. crazy, crazy times with how tournaments are running these days. You have to have an extremely good record to make it into the top eight. Obviously, it's how it should be. But, you know, it does beg the question, are we getting to a point maybe where I guess before we get into the results, we could just talk about this now since I've gone down this tangent. Uh, are we getting to a point where we should consider things going past the top eight for our top cut our single elimination? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I just want to know what their plan is, right? Because if we get to a point where we have 4,000 players, I think we have to have like an, just like theoretically, if we had like 4,000 players, we need to have an extra, extra round, uh, an extra round of top cut, right? Are we cutting to top 16? Are we getting an extra round of day one? Are we getting an extra round of day two? Are we going to eight rounds day, wait, or seven rounds day two, 10 rounds day one? Are we going to a top 16? Um, or are we getting like, uh pods and then we'd like take the top eight from each pod like both pods would play day one um play day one nine rounds day two six rounds and they take the top eight from each of those and those become top 16 like um i just want to know the point i would like them to just like add it to the to the kicker sheet and just be like okay this is the point where something else happens i just want to know when pokemon thinks something (laughs) else should happen just so just i just want to know because maybe they haven't even thought about it which is possible i assume someone over there has put some thought into okay at how many players do we add an extra round or an extra round of top cut or, or something like that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it might be a situation of like those conversations haven't been had, but tournaments have grown so much in the last 12 months that they're like starting better to start having them. Yeah. 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 Because it's like maybe changing. NEIC and EUIC like might be the tournaments this year where it looks like, okay, or really feels like, okay, we need a little bit more here. Yeah. Cause we're, I think we're going to break 2000 players at both those tournaments probably. Right. Yeah. I, I, think so. both I think it's very likely to be honest. Because, uh, I mean, looking at the, the standings, the final standings here from Pittsburgh, there were six players at 35 match points after round 15 finished, and only one of them 
made it in to top eight and it was Rahul Reddy. And he had like, I'll look it up. I think he had like 71% resistance or something like that. Like, yeah, I, I, I mean, guess that's what you have to those... have in order to get past five other people. Right. Yeah. This is definitely one of those situations where, I mean, with that many 30, this is the difference between bubbling in or bubbling out. If you're someone who didn't make top eight in this situation, it's kind of like, eh, whatever. Like only one person gets to get there. It's so all it comes down to a resi- opponent's resistance and opponent's opponents. Um, you didn't really bubble out if you're anyone besides Rahul. Rahul was just lucky enough to be the one that right. bubbled in in this right. situation. So uh, everyone always assumes in these situations that because they had the same record as the eighth person, um, and but there was 10 people that didn't make it, only one did that they bubbled out, but it was just Rahul bubbling in. Yeah, Rahul bubbled in with 68% it. on Pretty good. opponents. And no one was even points. close, right? Yeah, Bradner had nine points different behind him, 59%. Yeah. Yeah, so... so- ahead of the head of the pack there Rahul was <laughs> definitely but let's talk about the decks what one starting off and it is a deck you're very familiar with azul kyogre getting the win and it is a player we're all very familiar with andrew estrada the 2014 world champion he's for a long time been one of the best players out of canada he really doesn't play quite as often i feel like there was a couple years where he didn't play as quite as often as like a lot of people but he played a decent amount last year was like at a decent amount of yeah. things and then um i think did he, i think he made day two of worlds and then no i don't think i just trying to made day two this okay this year year before he got top eight he got back in top eight back in 2022 yeah one in 2014 and gets uh, a big time win here being the first player to ever win a regionals in the new prizing era. You know, he got $10,000 and now he also has his world's invite. So, you know, round of applause. Congratulations to Mr. Estrada <laughs> on getting the world's invite. Um, with the Kyogre oh. as well with Kyogre. What do you think is all? Yeah. I mean, I think Kyogre was pretty solid. I was like, I was pretty like, uh, I thought lost box was pretty solid going into the tournament. I hadn't played a whole ton with it myself. So I didn't know like which build was best. Um, but Kyogre was probably the better of the builds just because there was so much Lugia, which is something that I did uh, predict. Me and my group did predict going into the tournament. We were like, Lugia's going to be... Uh, not. It wasn't like that popular, right? It was like 10%, but we knew a lot of good players were going to be picking it up. So we were like, it's definitely a deck we want to make sure we can beat. And the Kyogre definitely has the best chance, I think, of all the Lost Zone decks to be able to beat the uh, beat the Lugia. Everything else kind of comes up a little bit short compared yeah. to the Kyogre. The Kyogre is like a solid chance, whereas uh, not the other decks don't quite give you that like that solid of a chance, to be honest. So... And it is um, still a tough matchup, especially like, you know, if you go up against someone who knows what they're doing, it looks like uh, Estrada did beat three Lugia. Yeah. Um, but he lost to Andrew Hedrick on the stream uh, playing yeah. Lugia. So, you know, I don't know what happened in these other games, but, you know, the Andrew Hedrick game, I mean, Andrew like kind of pretty handily beat him 2 0. Um, it's, pretty, it's pretty tough. Game one was close, but it came down to like the end of the game and Hedrick, you know, Estrada had like, eight cards left in deck and Hedrick kind of just had to go for the Kragalanch mill two cards, see what you get. And <laughs> he worked. hit a recycler and that lost mm-hmm. Estrada. I mean, that's, that's part of the matchup, right? Yep. Um, and had the Serena as well. But that's what makes it the toughest thing is like the Serena takes away so many lines of play that lost box like has available to it. Sure. Um, as long as you play that. So that makes it like really, really tough. Uh, it's kind of funny. Like I, I saw Estrada's Twitter, like end of last season. Uh, and it sounded like he was going to retire or basically was retiring from Pokemon. And then, you know, comes out, wins the worst, the first tournament, <laughs> um, the, you don't no one ever truly retires from pokemon no <laughs> everyone is always comes back yeah. um and Ashada came back and literally won the first major of the year um he was pretty yeah, techy with, with his list here as well we got 
three different stadiums, you know, the one artisan, one beach court, yeah. one Pokestop. They're all good at different times in the game, right? So I can I can see it making sense. He's got the one Holucha in here, the one Roxanne, a tech for the both really good techs for the mirror, right? Mm -hmm. Um Holucha probably just good against other things in general as well. And did cut down on consistent a little a little bit here. Only three escape rope, only you three nest ball, and then uh just one forest seal stone as well. Yeah, but you got like the artisan in the beach court, so you're getting like a little bit more utility potentially. Like those sure. could sit and play for an extra turn. So instead of just a fourth nest ball that you use once, you have the artisan that you could use twice. It also bumps stadiums, yep. right? You can get rid of specifically like Pats of the Peak is really, really annoying. You want to use your Greninja uh, a lot. So instead of going for like a little bit heavier of a stadium count, which I think I like because Pats of the Peak is so popular right now. Um, so against like the Lost Tinas, the Maridons, uh, although most of the Maridons actually didn't end up playing the Pats of the Peak. So I guess like Lost Tina more so than anything. You have those, those stadiums to put in play uh, and be able to like aggressively utilize those. It's Mew's uh, best shot run. in the matchup, but the matchup's so good for you anyway. Against Mew, it doesn't really matter often, but that yeah. is like how Mew <laughs> can win is just like judge path, right? Yeah, it's nice to be able to bump the Lost City against Mew pretty aggressively. Though. The Lost Cities can That's get pretty annoying. Too. It's nice to be able to get rid of those, recover your Sableye, um, or even recover your Greninja if they don't have the Lost City to get the knockout because you bumped it. It's pretty nice to be able to have that. Only one Force Healstone, I think, is like the biggest surprise for me. Everything else kind of makes sense. Um, so a little bit less aggressive potential in the early game, but you have the Kyogre, so that kind of makes up for it. Um, in the late game, right? So you have that trade-off of of fitting the Kyogre stuff in there. Um, one less for Seal Stone, but, you know, you're going to have a little bit more comeback potential. Um, so yeah, I'm really not, of course, like, yeah, really not surprised that, you know, Estrada, of course, won, and that, you know, Lost Box took it down in the end as well. Such a solid deck, solid player, like, uh, it's a good combination, right? Yeah, absolutely. And who he was able to beat in the finals was Jesse Parker with the Maridon. We mentioned Maridon a lot last week. We both had said that we thought it was the deck that was more likely to win compared to Chien Pao, and that was definitely true. It was like the, the third most popular deck in the tournament day one, still really popular in day two. And Jesse started nine and zero day one, made it all the way to top eight, and made it all the way to the finals. You know, he's someone who works with like Andrew Mahone, Riley Holbert, uh, J.W. Crewall, that crew, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so he played this list at Worlds with them. I'm assuming and they played the path they've, they've the changed world, it up yeah. a bit right like they've dropped the path to the peaks for the uh more mobility that beach court excuse me can provide yeah so going with the uh i actually saw sage and park tweet out i think retweeting jesse's uh accomplishment post on twitter and was like i'm glad i convinced <laughs> I convinced uh, Jesse something like that. The beach courts and stuff was better than Path of the Peak. So Sajin, you know, everyone's been uh, hyping up uh, Maridon, I feel like, because of Mahone's placement at Worlds. But I think Sajin is the true uh, Maridon whisperer here, even whispering, <laughs> the ear, whispering in the ear of other Maridon players and teaching them the real way to play Maridon in the end. Because very similar to Sajin's list, if not exactly what Sajin's been messing around with in online tournaments recently, has is like basically this list. So, um, yeah. Yeah, but it's it's cool to see the Maridon do well. I didn't expect two of them in top eight, but um, uh, and one one reason I thought like Maridon would come up short a little bit overall is uh, is the Lost Box in the Guardi matchup. Guardi really didn't show up too successfully in this tournament overall, but of course, like at the end of it, Estrada or Estrada or Jesse ended up hitting Estrada in the in the finals, and I think Estrada hit the other Maridon in top eight as well, Adam. So uh, Lost Box was cleaning up. That's the reason that I'm not a huge fan of Maridon. Is I feel like when the with what good players generally play, it's harder for the Marina. But yeah, two of them in top eight, you know, it, it's got a fine matchup against pretty much everything else, the Lugias and the Lost Boxes and the Mews here that we see in top cut as well. So Yeah, the um, Tinas as well. 
yeah, Lost Tina's like not as like it's definitely a fine matchup for Rhydon, whereas like the Lost Box is really the especially yeah. with Kyogre is like the real struggle. Um, I didn't watch any of the finals, but I'm gonna be VOD reviewing it and we'll, I'll uh, I guess I'll see how bad or close it was for uh for Jesse. But yeah, Jesse's first uh first big finish. So I think that's what he mentioned on Twitter as well. Somebody who's been playing for a while. Um yeah. I think definitely had his invite the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but finally pushing for that pushing for that first big finish and you know, definitely working with a, a good group of players. So it's really cool to see like that. Um, you know, get a group of players working for a little while, you know, keep working at it. And then like the results just keep coming in. Of course, everyone knows Mahone, JW's a regional champion, Riley's a regional champion. Uh, and you got Jesse working with them now, kind of like the, the up and cover in the group, I guess. And, you know, finally getting his and uh, hopefully see more of him for the uh, for the rest of the year as well. Some more finishes. Yeah, dude. <laughs> uh Kyle Sablehouse absolutely bodied Jesse going into finals. <laughs> or maybe it was into top eight. I don't even remember. I think it was into finals uh, when they were showing, like, his accomplishments on the screen. It was, like, some, you know, top 32s, like, solid finishes. But this was his yeah. first top eight. Um, <laughs> Kyle Sablehouse was like, yes, there he is, Jesse Parker. No longer just Andrew Mahone's friend. <laughs> I, like, I was like, gosh man you don't gotta <laughs> do him like that no but oh, for real congratulations to jesse i've known jesse for a while and uh yeah i was super pumped to see him go 9-0 and make it into uh make such a deep run so shout out i actually jesse got for that because i was i was hanging around the day two area uh pretty much the whole day i got a little nervous for jesse because i kept seeing him playing out the round i was like yeah oh, no i he started 9-0 i was like but it, but the tournaments are you have to go so much further than nine zero even at these regionals now. You yes. in the past when you went nine zero, you had to win like one round and then maybe pick up a tie and you were like in top cut, right? Yeah. Well, this rounds, is what happened, but... man. He he round uh, ten hits a lost box, loses round eleven, squeaks away with a tie against Estrada in yeah. round eleven in the Kyogre. And it still matchup. has to win three in a row after that. Yeah. Against Nui, Adam, and uh, Austin, and then gets to ID into cut against Lucas, and then. The top cut matches start from there. So yeah, you like even at nine and zero, you got to do a lot of work still to to make it into cut into these tournaments now. Um, which means when you're coming from like a, a seven and two record, you basically have to like win all of your games or something like that. Yeah, pretty wild. I mean, that's just the the where we're at with how big these tournaments are uh, these days. But yeah, so Jesse was not the only Maridon in cut. Let's just hit this other Maridon list real quick. Adam Reinhardt, actually someone I know from South Carolina. Shout outs to Adam. Um, I met him a few years ago back when I lived in South Carolina. And yeah, it was a, that's another person who was really cool for me to see in the top eight. He was playing a pretty similar list, did have one path yeah. to the peak. But other than that, I mean, it's basically the same deck, right? Yeah, not too much different at all. Like, yeah, the one Second path. Urban. Less bravery charm. The the lost vacuum is kind of an interesting tech. It's actually Although super think, good in the uh, mirror match. Yeah, well, if they play path, but if no one plays path, it doesn't really no, matter. No, it's super good in the mirror match for bravery. <laughs> oh, charm, the bro. bravery charm. I don't know. Once you're ahead in the mirror match, I feel like it snowballs super fast. There's so many ways to like boss around the bravery charm. Want to with Raichu? Like, sure. Yeah, if you get the first two prize knockout, I mean, it it can be. It's like the only comeback out in the mirror match is basically Iona or Judge plus Bravery Charm if they got like a big hand and like Prey. But yeah, um, so the vacuum does kind of offer that, and you have the Arvin, so you can actually like consistently find it. Yeah, uh, as well. Went with the uh, Zero Aura over the Flying Pikachu. Yeah, which is like another another big difference. But besides that, similar builds, right? Beach Court, Beach Court, and um. Yeah, no, no quad path. Basically, I guess like the only thing to really choose from, right? It's like, do you do the beach courts or do you do the quad <laughs> path? Yeah, yeah, and it seems like people are moving away from the paths at this point. 
yeah. hitting the rest of this top eight. We'll go through the top four here. Colin Merely Matthews with the Fusion Mew. Have you looked at this list yet, Azul? I have not, but it looks, yeah, nothing too crazy, right? The Box of Disasters, the Town uh, the Store. Town store. Uh, that's something that uh, me and my group played as well. We had the Town Store and the Box of Disasters. There's a penny in here, so really trying to prep for that lost box matchup there. And um, yeah, but nothing too crazy. It still had the Ice Cube, which I think a lot of people, myself included, ended up cutting. I was like John's list. Also, they had the Deoxys in there. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, sticking around with the Ice Cube, which is interesting. I felt like the Ice Cube was probably... Actually, I really like the idea of the Deoxys, to be honest, after I looked at John's list and kind of thought about it a little bit more. I feel like the Ice yeah. definitely lost some value, but yeah, Fusion Mew, doing it again. Another top placing, no surprise at all. Although the one thing I was surprised about is Mew did drop under that. It's like the lowest it's ever been. It was like at eight point something percent in day one. I think yeah, the lowest it got to real quick. Yeah, I think since its release, the lowest it ever got to was like nine point three. Um, and now we're at an eight point three from Mew. Um, I don't. I, I I have a hard time believing it's going to go lower than that though. Maybe. Yeah, this was the lowest. I mean, at Worlds, it wasn't on the graphic because there was only five decks on the graphic and it was sixth day one of worlds and it was like nine percent so it's like yeah. it, it did dip down just a little bit um just a wee bit but then when we moved into let me pull up the day two one here it um surged up quite a bit you know up to 13 percent decent little pickup there still yeah, i mean day two is like a finding little... success yeah, day two is weird because like it just becomes a narrow meta overall, right? So everything's going to increase generally in the top half of things because those are just the better decks. So well, sometimes be more stuff popular. stays the same, you know. Lost Tina, thirteen. Well, yeah, yeah, one. but like they're never getting like they're never they're usually not dipping too hard. Like we'll see bigger numbers, like the eighteen percent from Lost Box, seventy percent from Lugia, right? But because um, you can even see like other decks on the alpha the graph is eighteen percent, whereas uh, in day one it was what thirty percent. Yeah, I think. Yeah, so. We're just going to see more. It's going to be more top heavy every single time. There'll be more percentage of the decks in the top six decks on the graphic day two than day one. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, for sure. I mean, what was always interesting to me is when we see something like on day two graphic that wasn't there day one, something that like was not super heavily played, but then ends up doing pretty decently. Like if Charizard had done well this tournament, which we'll talk about <laughs> our uh, prediction recap in a minute. Charizard did not do the best. Um, let's let's hit the rest of these top eight decks. We did have Andrew Hedrick and Rahul Reddy in top eight with the Lugias. Yeah, the only real difference here, I think, between the lists, there's a Jet Energy in Hedrick's list, and there's a Penny in Rahul's list. Uh, both opting for the one Burnett, I think, is like a standout. We've been seeing, been seeing quite a bit of two Burnets. Mm -hmm. Both opting for the one Burnett. Um, yeah, nothing too crazy. One Jet in Hedrick's list. I think there was a zero Jet in who's list so yeah just lugia doing lugia things nothing really new or wild or crazy yeah and hedrick to get the one jet did not like cut in energy that's something we've been seeing a lot is like minus a v guard plus a jet right he just yeah. added in the jet so like had an extra energy oh, as well 14. which is you know it lets you be a little more liberal with how you're you know playing your energy cards out right yeah yeah definitely uh one other loss zone deck in the top eight the lost tina from michael chen um Put, what do we put Lossina as a B tier deck going into the we, weekend? We had it in A and we moved it down it to B. B. <laughs> it did pretty well overall. I think Bradner was ninth place with it. Yeah. Um, like I said, not a bubble out. Uh, Rahul bubbled in, but yeah, they were still what they were still close. You know, we don't have like the. I wish I want to see like a deeper. I want to see like down to like top thirty two and really see like how things shaped out overall. But we don't have a great. Oh, we can do it there. Yeah, perfect. We, we can do it here. A lot of lost box actually. A lot of lost zone, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, not in the like out right outside in the top 16, right outside of the top 8. Two lost zone decks in the 
in the top eight overall. A lot of Lugia up towards the top as well. And nothing too crazy. A lot of Lugia in top 32. Uh, just a couple Gardevoir. Looks like it was toured yeah. in yeah, Gardevoir struggling. Place. And then Michael Davidson, who, yeah, shout outs to him for a top 16 finish. His first, he's he's a first year master, was nice. a top player senior, uh, getting top 16 at your first master division regionals. It was pretty impressive. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think the guard war players, uh, I mean, I'm just like, I like, yeah, I, I think one of the big things that probably caught Garver off, off a little bit was uh, the uh, the amount of Lugia. Like I said, that's something me and my group predicted was a pretty decent amount of Lugia. Um, so I, I bet most, if not any of them, were playing Temple of Sinnoh, which I think is yeah. the huge swing card in the matchup, is the Temple of Sinnoh. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised. That's why a decent amount of the Guardi players struggled this tournament specifically, but also Lost on stuff showed up in general. But hey, I don't think like Lost on against Guardi these days feeling pretty, pretty 50 50. So I don't think that's like a huge struggle for the deck overall. Yeah, Tord, it looks like went 1 1 1 against Lugia. Uh, uh, Michael Davidson lost to a Lugia, lost to a Maridon. A couple of Lugias. He went 3 1 against Lugia. So he yeah. overall was doing pretty good against it. Yeah. They also, they maybe have the Temple of Sinnoh as well. I know Tord didn't have the Temple of Sinnoh, but right. that's really the, the big difference in the matchup. Yeah, Rowan here on Guardi lost to a Lugia. Beat a couple as well, though. So, I mean, just because you don't have it doesn't mean it's like, you know, it's not like. It's winnable still. It just feels, yeah. it feels really comfortable if you have the Temple of yes. Sinnoh. That's when the matchup feels super comfortable. Otherwise, it's feeling pretty close. And if the Lugia player draws well, I think it's like just, you just can't win. They should always win the prize trade. Um, and then I the think last the last deck unique and... deck here to talk yeah. about is Lucas Zing with the Qian Pao, or as many people call it, Blue Maridon. <laughs> yeah. So this is a list that like the Can like a ton of Canadian players played this at Worlds. Yeah. Uh this turbulence. I played against uh a Canadian player playing this at Worlds. I think this is actually what Estrada played in day one of Worlds. I remember I remember walking past the tables. Uh and I believe this is what Estrada was rocking. So it didn't it hasn't really shown up yet. I've been seeing a lot of people playing this kind of turbo build in online tournaments. Uh but finally, is this like Chimpao's first top eight in general? It might be. Has top eight it? anything I else? mean, it hasn't had that many tournaments, I guess. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, what, I don't it was remember legal it. for NAIC, and that's it, right? Oh, true. So NAIC <laughs> Worlds. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's been close. Um, obviously, it's not no like Gardevoir power level of of it's depth or anything no. like that. It's, it ain't no. <laughs> it's not no. Um, but yeah, this is, a ter this is this build is something that I've wanted to try to try and mess around with personally. I just haven't really had the opportunity to. Uh, mm -hmm. But we see it here finally getting its Chimpao's first top eight so far. Um, I'm still not overly impressed with the power level of the deck, but it's cool to see it, you know, get in there at least once so far. We are getting the new set release, so who knows how she and Pow fares in the new meta, but um, at least it got there finally. Yeah, no Pidgeot, sadly. No Pidgeot in no the Pidgeot. She and Pow deck. Yeah, That's what hit you way too hard. You got to be a little faster than Pidgeot allows, I guess. I feel like B Barrel is like essential in the deck. B Barrel is so powerful yeah, with Chi and Pao, the way you like move through your hand, how quickly you do. And like the recovery from Iono is like super important. That's another thing. Even if there wasn't that much path in the format, I still feel like Pidgeot wouldn't be that great because when you get Ionoed, you need more than just like one card that the Pidgeot offers. Like the B Barrel, I feel like is really sure you're not guaranteeing anything, but you can actually get the two cards or three cards that you might need. Whereas like the Pidgeot only lock it in. Well, here's what the setup's going to be coming up soon. It's like you're going to you're going to get Ionode, you're going to get knocked out. You're going to promote your Mew EX with free retreat and the ability that draws you up to 3 cards. You're going to Does it need to be in the active though? I don't think it needs to be in no, the active. No, no, it doesn't. But but you're going to promote it. Bro, you, okay, sh sure as a promote your Pidgeot then, okay? Whatever <laughs> what you want. What about a Mew? Can we send up a Mew? Get a Mew in there too. Oh my goodness. Can we send what up a Mew. What is happening? 
Search, but that draw doesn't a little bit retreat, then you're needing, making yourself need even more. That's fine. Well, we got one. We just need the double superior energy, which gives us one extra energy. <laughs> double superior anyway, so it gives us the one extra energy we're cooking. Yeah, 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 yeah. They were cross switching that turn, you know? Yeah, off of our, you know, Iono to one, we drew two cards. <laughs> That's why we got the Mew. It finds half the cross switchers. We're good to go. And Pidgeot gets the other. Let's go. Hey, there we go. <laughs> the deck is broken now. <laughs> Yeah, that's the top eight. It would have been cool to have a little bit more to work with. This is what I was saying. Um, it's actually something that I mentioned. It'd be really cool if. I mean, we I guess we have the decks to look at here on the. Uh, I guess yeah, like this isn't official. Thing. This is just like, you know. Oh yeah, this is like autofill. This is Pokestats Live. This is the, all this information comes from players who played against these players going on here what and reporting was. what they played against. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. So yeah, it would be like it would be cool if like RK9 just literally the. Tournament's done. Submitted. Like I said, I feels like it, it seems like it's probably just a push of the button. Maybe it's not just a push of the button. Um, so that's possible. But um, it would be nice. It seems like it is just a push of the button because every time I see like the back and forth on Twitter, it seems like it's always just like the organizer has to okay releasing the deck lists, and yeah. then like they get put out by Arcanine. So Maybe I feel they like just I, like pre blanket okay yeah, it for like the unless whole you year. want to not okay it. Like it should just be yeah. Like TP Satch should step in and be like it's okay unless the organizer has a problem with it being released immediately for whatever reason then they can like kind of postpone it but i don't know it'd just be cool to just have it imme released immediately after the event it's like full transparency of the deck list that made day two i think that'd be fine i don't think it'd be like a big deal or anything but not doing that obviously after this one that was something that, that, that i was curious if it would happen mm -hmm. um but yeah obviously did not happen maybe in the future of the throughout the rest of the year who knows so we did make some predictions going into pittsburgh we're gonna recap and see who was more correct than the other hosts Highest placing Charizard. I predicted top 64. Azul said top 32, but it was mostly because I said top 64. He didn't want to like, yeah. say the same thing. <laughs> I think we were both kind of agreeing that it was like a top 64 deck, and that ended up being right. And it was like honestly close to being a top 128 deck. The highest yeah. finishing Charizard was in 59th place. Yeah, once there's like a certain percentage of a deck being played there, it's probably pretty easy to predict where it should at least land. And then if you think the deck is bad, you always just go with the minimum. But um, yeah, I'm not like surprised there wasn't one that did that much better than that. Because the deck overall is just kind of mid, to be honest. It's all right. It's not great. It's not great. So, but yeah. Which deck is more likely to win, Miraidon or Chien Pao? And Lucas Zing, you know, tried to prove us both wrong by making a run, but unfortunately lost in top eight. And we both predicted that Maradon would be the more likely deck to win two in top eight. And of course, Jesse making it to the finals. I think, you know, we definitely had it right there compared to those two decks. I guess like with the end tournament results, but to be honest, looking back on this prediction, it actually just doesn't make any sense. Cause really what it reads is which one will, will place higher Maradon or Chien Pao. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we'll remove this, <laughs> this style of prediction in the future. <laughs> no, I think it's, because... no, 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 no. I think well, it's, it's, it's the same thing. Like highest placing Charizard, right? It's literally the exact same thing. Well, Did not necessarily. Like, a deck can be someone could like that lose the, the win. Someone could lose the winning in with like say there's only two people on these two decks at the end of the tournament. Okay. One is in uh top. There, there's a Chien Pao that wins into the top sixteen their last round, and then there's a Maridon that loses the winning in and drops down to top thirty two. You know, Are which we one like, was look more that likely stuff to win? Up? The... Huh? Are we gonna look that up after the tournament? We don't know. We do sure. our due diligence here on the Uncommon <laughs> Energy podcast. All right. So basically, you won't be seeing this prediction again from us. Oh. But the final prediction we said was first time a repeat repeat regional winner. Chip said first time. I said repeat. 
And as far as we both know, I think this is Estrada's first regional win. Unless yeah, Estrada but I think we got to like... kind of call this one a push, right? Because, like, he's a world champion, you know? Like, not a regional champion. There's a difference. I mean, sure. That was but... the question. That was the, I mean, listen, it was your, you get the, you got Wait, the double much... of this prediction. How much did they win for uh, Worlds back before, like, 2017? Was it? I have no clue. I wonder if Estrada won, like, as much for this tournament as he won for Worlds back in 2014. Possibly. I think it was maybe 15K back then. I don't remember at all, to be honest. Let so me see. Ago. I bet you, I bet your boy Alex Wilson has it up over on his website, the PTCG Legends. There's not a search bar here. Come on, Wilson. <laughs> I can't just search an event. No, that's fine. I'll you find just, it. like, control F. No, I found 2014 World Championships. We got the results. Oh, there Andrew it is. Estrada First place, 10K. What's up? 10K. It's 10K. Where was it? Wait. Right there. Oh, the, it's right, right here. I see. Yep. But now First I'm like curious. 10K. Yeah. So Estrada won just as much for this tournament as he won when he won Worlds <laughs> <laughs> back in 2014. Pretty wild. Now I'm curious. Oh, yeah. So it looks like the lowest that ever, well, there was no, in 2004, it was 7.5K. And then that changed in, geez, when did it change? 2012? It changed in 2012. It increased to 10K from 7.5. And then it didn't change again. Until... And they're also prized out as scholarships as well. Yeah. And then it didn't change until 2015, where it became 25. And now we just had the most recent change eight years later for all the way up to 2016. No, 2016 was cash. When was it that they added it to be cash? 2015? Uh, 20, 2015, yeah. I mean, they actually, they actually like, once they added, made all payouts cash, they you could turn your scholarships into cash if you wanted to. At that point, like even older ones that we were still sitting, yeah, because like, yeah, the, the scholarship that I won at 2010 regionals for 1.5k, I turned into just one 1.5k after they changed it in 2015. What'd you buy with it or 2014? No, I, nothing, I don't even remember. <laughs> I just turned into cash. I don't know, yeah, I don't know. I didn't go to my way to get anything, <laughs> yeah, food maybe. Um, well, that was not the only tournament this weekend in Pittsburgh. We did also have the Champions League event happening over in Yokohama. Of course, the Champions League tournaments, if you don't know, it's kind of like our regional championships if they were like uh, three times as big. And twice as big. Hold on. I guess that's true now. Hey, yeah. we're getting twice up there. As... Right, come on, give us some give us some credit here. <laughs> it's twice as big, but uh, this is true, like... Yeah. 12 times as many people wanted to play in it, right? Yeah, there's like 10K people signing up for a lottery that three 3K people uh, make it through. So, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is so, very true. And they are they seem to be hard-capped around 3K, too. Like, it we seems haven't like seen those are one... always the numbers, right? Let me... Yeah, we haven't seen really anything that bigger than 3K. I think their Japan Championships was like 1,900, but that's like more of an invite system. Um, I think it was 1,900. But, yeah, there's they seem to be like pretty much capped around 3K. They don't seem to be going that much bigger than 3K yeah at all so i wonder if like venue size is a thing in japan like is their venues bigger than 3k players do they not have the staff to run a bigger than 3k player well, tournament is there, as well? Could are, be there something. are there vgc and pokemon go tournaments at these champions league tournaments as I, well i don't think so i think they're split it's up just tcg and then like i'm pretty VGC sure and go has their own thing yeah like uh, on a different day i think it's yeah like, uh, on a different day i'm pretty sure or a different like weekend whatever um, but i'm pretty sure they're split up don't yeah, I don't actually on know 100% either. Yeah, but uh, Maridon was able to take it down. Um, but it was the path build, which is kind of funny. All the Americans dropped the paths, but it is a different format. They do have 151. It doesn't seem like 151 impacts the meta too much um, as far as this first tournament goes. But yeah, it was a path Maridon build. 
that actually ended up being able to take the dub. They uh, the Maridon got it over, got it done over in Japan. Um, yes, they've got two new cards here from 151 in this list that we do not have yet. It is playing one Zapdos EX. It's a 200 HP lightning type with two retreat cost, but the ability Bolt Float, if it has a lightning energy attached, it has no retreat cost, and it's attack for three lightning, does 120, and then also 90 damage to one of your opponent's benched Pokemon that already has damage counters on it. So this can kind of become a pivot. Also a yeah. decent attacker, high amount of HP, you know, some spread damage. You can get two prizes from this, and therefore it is best one, like you mentioned, if you kind of surprise your opponent with it, they're not mm -hmm. anticipating it, just slam it down, and you can take like a, a three-prize turn potentially. Yeah, yeah, so you're going to be able to cheese people a little bit. It would be really annoying to like go up against a Maridon deck and like have to bench Manaphy. Like that sounds like so annoying. Yeah. It's like, bro, come on, like against them too? Like, <laughs> well, and another reason they have to bench Manaphy even as well yeah. is the Mew EX. <laughs> it's like you're going to have to bench your Manaphy against Gardevoir coming up here soon. Yeah, so the Mew EX, another new card. Uh, it's got that restart ability. Uh, you may draw until you have three cards in your hand. So a little bit of a reprint as far as the ability goes of the Instruct Orangaroo. Is it Instruct? Yeah, no, Primate Wisdom. Yeah. And then the... Bro, uh, how are you going to totally ignore Cricketoon V like that? It's got 180 HP. It's got free retreat costs, unlike Cricketoon V. And then for three colorless energy, the Genome Hacking. This is like why... what probably It's like a good ability and a good attack. But it's not game-breaking. We're not seeing any quad Mew EX decks anytime soon. But it's no. like a cool one of you can include for a little bit of draw power. And then for the attack, choose one of your opponent's active Pokemon's attacks and use it as his attack. So you could... Do something like boss up a Greninja, Radiant Greninja, and then use Mew to copy the Greninja's attack and then hit two things on the bench for 90 damage each. So, I mean, Lost Box decks are pretty reliant on Greninja as, like, draw support. So you're going to need to, like, put that in play to begin with. But now, if you go up against a Maridon player, if they got the Mew, you have to, like, bench your Manaphy, which is, like, really, really annoying as something like a Lost Box deck. It's uh, pretty crazy, sure. too. Like, I mean, this, looking at this card, it's a good card, right? But you wouldn't expect it to be, like, crazy. You scroll down and you look at deck lists that include this card here on the Limitless page. We see champ. And this is the first tournament with this card legal, by the way. First place yeah. Champions League. Second place Champions League list played it. The fifth place Champions League deck played it. Same as sixth place, also ninth place. I mean, so this card was in so many of the high finishing decks. Yeah, it was in quite a few. Maybe it was the diff. Uh, the card diff. No one else was running it besides these players. Got them all the way up there. <laughs> it definitely seems like it's going to be a pretty powerful inclusion in a lot of decks. Uh, for sure. We even look at the, the second place list, the Lugia build. Yeah, like yeah. I said, that had it as well. Uh, colorless Lugia, which we haven't seen too much. Hasn't seen too much success over here um, in America, Europe. There was a couple in top 32 of Japan. Pittsburgh. Oh, was there? They finally started to creep up there? There was uh, Gabe Shumway played it at 24th place. Maybe it was just him. I thought I saw yeah, it. It might have just one. been Gabe. Yeah. It might also could be, I mean, we do see it here in second place in Japan, but sometimes it's more of the player than the deck. Like, yeah, sure. okay, solid deck. I have a better finish when someone like Gabe is piloting it, um, of course. But um, it's possible the same thing here in Japan as well. But also, like I said, the meta shifting a little bit. The deck is maybe a little bit better than most people have been giving it credit for. I haven't been ever that ever that impressed by the deck. I always feel like it's shut down pretty hard by some of the other top decks. But uh, it's got the Mew now. And the Mew works pretty good with Lugia cause, or with Archaeops. So you can just kind of set up the Mew out of nowhere and uh, utilize it as an attacker. A little bit of draw. Yeah, and it's pretty, I mean, it's drop, like, you know, late game consistency, refill your hand. It's a free retreat pivot that you can send up, which is something like 
Lugia can definitely utilize. I mean, this list does have four jet energy, but you know, it can be There's nice. There's only two research in this list. How are we getting our archaeops in the discard pile? Yeah, so this is where things are a little questionable here, and I think it's the, <laughs> the supporter count. I mean, there's four bosses orders, so like being super aggressive after stuff, maybe partially because of the block Snorlax being in yep. this list, which is definitely a surprise inclusion to me. Uh, but still, I mean, does have the heavy Iono, three Iono, does have one Zinnia's Resolve, technically another way to get some Archaeops in the discard pile. But I guess, yeah, true. I mean, <laughs> yeah, research I, I, I just one feel like Zinnia's stuff. being much better than a, a third research, right? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess we're using Luminion to get the Burnett quite often. We do have the two Great Ball in here over the Nest Balls that you typically see, and those do give you outs to the Luminion. I know this is something you've been a fan of in Lugia. You've like been yeah, kind of an solid. advocate for the Great Balls. Yeah, I think they're just definitely better than people give them credit for. Like, you can find Luminion, especially in like a heavier path. You can find Punkaboo. Obviously, it's like not likely to find Punkaboo, but you can't nest ball for Punkaboo and then get the value out of its ability where the Great Ball can get you there. Find Luminion, you give yourself and a use shot. Its ability. Same yeah. as and true then for also, Luminion as well, right? You can also just find Archaeops. And like, you do have four Archaeops. Like, the cards you need the most is Lugia V. Great Ball has a high chance of finding that. Lugia V-Star, Great Ball's a decent chance of finding that. And you get the archives in the discard pile, which, once again, Great Ball can do. All those things Nest Ball can't do, right? And also, Great Ball does become an out to Illuminian to be, to be able to actually play a game as opposed to Nest Ball, where you're just like Nest Ball for another Lugia, and hopefully, uh, hopefully I top deck next turn pass, you know? So, I don't know. The Great Balls, yeah, the Great Balls are definitely very solid. Do you think Nui X like is colors, like but... a difference maker for this deck enough to make it a real contender over single strike Lugia? I would have to like go through all the attacks that muse copying but maybe i guess i don't know is there that many attacks that it's copying that makes it that much better i don't think so Well, i mean the kind of things that come to mind for me is like greninja obviously we talked about yep. that already uh lost impact on gear also having a bench having a bench manaphy against lugia's lost box also sounds miserable like yeah <laughs> that's like, another, it's like bro come on i wonder if it's not uh <laughs> which one you choose to do do you choose to bench manaphy or do you choose to not bench greninja is the question, probably bench man greninja is just too powerful for the draw support yeah. it gives you because then you're getting ionode or judd well i guess ionode in this case you're getting ionode and you don't have the extra draw power to work with off the ionode which sounds miserable but yeah this thing can come in and it can lost impact for th two prizes it can come in and copy maridon or raiko's attacks for you know a knockout in those instances so i mean it's probably just an efficient attacker that has like other utility right yeah definitely 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 yeah i think it's uh Pretty solid overall for sure we did see in third place over in japan it was the urshifu intellion this is a deck that was pretty popular in day one i say pretty popular it was like i remember looking at the meta <laughs> chart it was like uh six percent of the day one meta or no it was like eight percent of the day one meta eight percent oh really like so it was right under mew Maybe I'm tripping. Maybe it was six percent. I'm having a hard time remembering because like, we don't be honest, publish those numbers. But I think we talked we, about them on stream. I think so. Maybe because someone could find it. But I mean, that's like a pretty high percentage for like a counter come from behind play deck like this, right? Or like a spread deck, really. Yeah, definitely. I feel like yeah, it's generally well. I, I feel like we've had it. It's been a relevant whenever this kind of happens. Like the decks like this that have been are generally not super popular. In terms of numbers, one of those things like this deck is more easy to counter than like a Lugia deck, right? Like if Mew just shows up or Lugia just shows up really popular, the deck's not that good anymore, right? Mm -hmm. But um, it was a pretty good play for this tournament. Thermos are really, really big, so it's hard to worry about one or even two matchups sometimes. And then as the decks are in the meta for longer, more people are just willing to pick it up and try out the deck and you know make it the deck that they're bringing to a tournament, right? You know, imagine um, sending up your Mew 
EX to copy GMAX Rapid Flow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. It's gonna be a it can be an interesting time with the Mu EX for sure. There's so many e- easy ways to power it up, to be honest, even with the triple colorless requirement. Um, that would actually, to be honest, if you're looking for more ideas to send over to whoever chip, like doing a like a 12 deck graphic, like going like one graphic and then you move over to the next and show like the top, you know, the percentage of like the top 12 decks. It would be something worth looking at. Um, it'd be cool sure. to just see those percentages as well. And it feels like it would add like no, it's not like cutting into the time of the broadcast or whatever. It gives more stuff for the casters to talk about too. Um, you know, we when you guys are doing that. that. Yeah. So like get the, get a second graphic, look at the top or make it like five and five even, right? The first graphic has the top five, second gra- graphic has the next five. And then the other would only be like 8% or something at that point, maybe even less. Um, but a little bit more to talk about, look at some more of the other decks that are, you know, not in the top six, but still pretty popular, right? Still definitely factors in the meta. Cool to see. So we see the Urshifu in third place, and then it was Gardevoir in uh, the other top four deck over here in Japan. Looks very similar to Tord's List, but they do have a new stadium. big new card for this deck that we do not yeah. have yet, and that is the, what is this thing called? Moonlight Hill Stadium. Once yeah. during each player's turn, that player may discard a basic psychic energy from their hand to heal 30 damage from all of their Pokemon. Yeah, pretty cool. I don't actually this to be honest, looking at this list, I don't even understand why they play the collapse stadium. Why do you even play collapse in this build? You have no luminian, you don't even have the four seal stone to like aggressively put Zation in play. Dip your Gardevoir out of there in the mirror or something like that, I, I guess. I guess that's still a thing. Yeah, but mirror is probably so much less popular. I feel like almost playing Blasino might have been a little bit better. But yeah, I was just like that's thinking. But yeah, the new stadium definitely very powerful and definitely uh I mean, this, this list actually has 13 energy. What the heck? I've never seen a list with 13 energy. <laughs> Are we going to be going to, I was going to say, once this comes out, I feel like going to like a straight basic energy build makes a lot of sense, right? Because it allows you to be a little bit more aggressive. You have another way to get basic energy into the discard pile. And also that heal 30 allows you to get two more energy on a Shiny Arcana Gardevoir, right? Two more basic energy can be put on the Shiny Arcana Gardevoir. So yeah, I wonder if you even play reversals anymore. Um, I feel like it almost feels sounds like it's better to just not play reversals and just play all the psychic energy, like 12 basic psychics or something. Yeah, here is the top uh, eight list, the sixth place list. They had the Mew EX in here, but they had two reversal energy as well. It still had two of that yeah. Moonlight Hill Stadium. Looks, uh, again, pretty similar to just what's been popularized by Tord. Also, our boy Ethan Hegster Heggy made day two, ended up I honestly sixth overall. I think he went eight and one in day one with uh, he played yeah. Gardevoir as well. I thought Ethan made top eight <laughs> based on what everything I was hearing at the event. I didn't like keep up with uh, directly on Twitter at all. But mm-hmm. I literally thought Ethan had actually made top eight or top cut because I guess they cut to a top 16. I think um, so I thought, to top 16. Yeah, I thought Ethan actually made top 16. So then I looked over when I looked over the story, I was like, wait, where's Ethan at? Uh, but that would have been pretty sick. But yeah, still a pretty good run, it seems like. Uh, nonetheless, a couple of ties in day two and ties are just losses in uh in japan it's not yeah. actually a tie you don't get any points for a tie in japan you just get a both players just get a loss so double game loss or whatever you want to call it um but yeah 10 uh 10 and 4 was the final record which is still pretty good but yeah, yeah not quite good enough to make cut over in japan 86 out of 3200 yeah if we're going bad. 10 and 4 being 86 <laughs> that's a far away from top 16 it's probably, yeah, like two yeah. win- it's probably two wins away though i'm sure like 12 and 2 sounds like it was probably the almost get almost guaranteed record also ethan out here balling out with the full art secret rare ionos what the heck man this guy's yeah. just got it like that <laughs> i guess <laughs> uh, also you get to change decks from day one to day two i think Ethan you do. said that he didn't change you anything do. about his list mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, same 60 cards for day one to day two. Anything else here in the top 16 you want to chat about? There's kind of one pretty unique deck here. I was going to say the other Lugia was a colorless Lugia as well. So colorless Lugia dominating. We don't know what the other top 16 list is. Um, but then it gets a little bit, yeah, towards the eighth place. And then the, the other couple lists we have there gets a little bit more interesting. There's a Lost Gudra, Palkia Chien Pao, or just Palkia, I should say. Um, but then, yeah, the Charizard, we see a Charizard squeaking into a top eight finish here, um, unlike in Pittsburgh. And it's like uh, definitely different from everything I've seen as far as Charizard goes. There's actually more Ralts in this list than there is Charmanders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is that is true. It's pretty funny. Yeah, I think this is the first time I've seen someone try Charizard out with this draw support option. I've seen Bibarel, I've seen Pidgeot, we've seen Arceus, all those things, obviously. But playing the Curlia line in here, and also if you play Curlia, you're not playing Psychic Energies to attack with the Gardevoir. You get to play the Gallade, which is actually pretty I solid. Catch. You don't get Two. that buddy catch in there. Google yeah, it. two. So, I don't know about the two, but well, yeah, I, they just really don't want to prize it. I guess, right? I, I, that thing <laughs> kind of makes sense. Like it's a big part of. I think you either chain Ionos or you chain Boss, depending on the matchup, right? That's probably your game plan. Yeah. Um, so like trying to do the same thing as reuse any of these supporters pretty heavily as well. Yes. So trying to do the same thing as Pidgeot, um, where like Pidgeot is generally chaining Boss or even chaining Iono if you don't draw to the Ionum. Pidgeot gives you a little bit more flexibility with like your tool cards. Like we see a lot of people playing like Choice Belts and Vitality Bands and even Defiance Bands. I think I saw someone tweeting about a Defiance Band this weekend. I don't remember. Uh, maybe it's like a League Cup or something. But yeah, the, the Galley lets you do the same thing, at least for the supporter side of things. And that's why we see in this list specifically, not too many one-of item cards. There's the Heavy Ball, of course, the Pal Pad, uh, and the Lost Vacuum. But the rest of the engine for draw power is the Muse in here. Two Muse with Mysterious Tails and four Jet Energy. So the potential to use two Mews every single turn is actually kind of cool, to be honest. And it's actually, I'm going to try out some kind of Mew type Charizard build for sure sometime this week. Maybe there's a lot of VOD reviewing to be done because there's, I got <laughs> to watch Pittsburgh. And then I also, Barcelona is happening this weekend as well. So, but yeah, really cool build. Uh, it's cool to see Charizard getting there, especially with something a little bit different because the Arceus Pidgeot stuff definitely felt like overall, like it, the power level just wasn't there. So maybe this is like the missing piece. Yeah, I have to imagine this is like insanely consistent at getting like just a turn two Charizard in play, right? Yeah, the Muse, man, the Muse, they carry. Yeah, and even carry. has one reversal energy in here, I guess, so you can swirling slice with Gallade, right? It's Gotta be funny. able to swirling slice. What is that even relevant against? When are you trying to hit him with the swirling slice? You one hit KO and Urshifu. No, you don't even freaking one hit KO and Urshifu. It does three twenty. Need that choice cow. belt. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, what are you? I mean, just the option of a one prize is nice, right? I guess that has yeah. to be it more so than anything. Yeah, yeah get probably. him with that swirling slice. But yeah, super cool list. Love to see people, you know, doing unique things, of course. And then other unique decks here. We did have a Lost Gudra. That's a name I've not heard in quite some time. <laughs> For good reason. Playing the Mew EX. Is that the secret sauce, Azul? Also has the Zamazenta in here. That's well, this is like the... seen more standard. Yeah, this is like the the Gudra exists Gudra list, I feel like. Because, like, it's so much not Gudra going on. Sure. And we saw a build like this do recently. Well, recently, was it maybe the last tournament in Japan? I don't remember. Someone um, did okay at Worlds with this deck. Yeah, that's actually my loss in day one was against the Italian player or one of the Italian players playing the, the Gudra is in this deck. Lost, <laughs> lost, lost box deck. Um, but I forget where else I saw someone do well with this style of Gudra recently. Um, maybe it was NASE. No, I don't think it was NASE. And I'm trying to like remember where i've seen this I mean, the before. only other tournaments on limitless is we've got Size the asia open maybe that got top four there maybe yeah i don't remember uh it wasn't it wasn't worlds though it wasn't worlds it was something before worlds 
Um, but yeah, showing up the once Asia again. Open. <laughs> maybe. Is that it? Yeah. Oh, that's where it was? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's where it was. Yeah, the Asia Open. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gudra. It's like the Gudra exists in this deck, Lost Box deck. Um, I don't know how much weight Gudra's pulling, to be honest, but uh, it's in there. It's in there for sure. You surely attack with one at some point in the game, right? I would hope so. Otherwise, I hope you, I don't know why you played the card. <laughs> like, I hope it's doing something at some yeah. point. True. It better be. But yeah, you got the rest of the front to, to back it up a little bit there. And they had the Mew in there. Why not? Mew seems to be that good. Mirage Gate to it, attached to it. It's good to go. It's cooking. A little bit of draw the last list well. we have here is for a Palkia deck. This is where everyone's Temple of Sinnohs went, uh, apparently, into this Palkia <laughs> deck. They got two of them. Uh, and it makes sense. As the Lugia matchup, probably going to be pretty tough for Palkia. To be honest, I'm not too sure. Every time I played against it, it's been tough. It might have been one of the reasons that like Cyrus played the Articuno at Worlds was because of the Lugia matchup to give yourself like slow him down a little bit, set up your two hit KOs because you're really not one hit KOing a Lugia ever in that match. Even hit KOing a T-Tar, if they got a V-Guard on it, can be tough. So uh, the Sin was probably helping down helping out a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I could I could definitely see it. Uh, but yeah, other than that, pretty similar to what we've kind of seen from this deck. Other than that, though, nothing super crazy. Two Lost Tinas. There's no Lost Box in this top 16, which is maybe the yeah, biggest no thing to note stuff. here. Uh, we don't know if this Lugia was colorless or if it was single strike, but uh, yeah, congrats to all of these players in the Champions League. So we've got, you know, two events here that we've recapped, both Pittsburgh and the Champions League Yokohama. Uh, but there is a tournament this Hold weekend, on. Azul. Well, one Is thing that... you talked about mentioning, we don't have to mention it if you don't want to, but just like one thing oh, yeah, when you yeah, look yeah. at the players in top 16 here, it's not a knock on any of the players, but like, and I think this is how I felt whenever I, I looked at Japan's results in general. Now, you have to like actually play to like know the local players, but if you click on like all the names here um, from the players who are in the top 16, there's very few repeat finishes from the players uh, in the yeah. top 16. Once again, not a knock on any of the players who did. There's a couple. Now, one thing is like Japan does have less major tournaments than something like, I mean, Europe, Latin America, or America, to be honest. They have less major tournaments. But I think this, and this is what I talked about too whenever I noticed this on my stream one day, is like, I think it definitely speaks to the lack of consistency um, from best of one versus best two out of three. It's like you just see less repeat finishers uh, overall, where it's like, and but one, one of those things as well is like, I'm sure locally, a lot of these players are known as very good players. And there's, this is just them getting their first, you know, big finish, just like Jesse did uh, this past weekend in Pitts Pittsburgh. Sure. Um, but it's something that I kind of took note of a little bit. Like even when I looked at European results, I'll recognize a decent amount of the names. Uh, of course, I'm a little bit more familiar with those players, but I don't know. Maybe if someone like plays over in Japan is actually listening to this, let us know if we're a little bit off the mark here. But I think it is a little bit of an example of like the the consistency that best of three adds to uh, to the skill level of the game, expressing your skill in the game versus the versus the best of one. Yeah. So of the top sixteen players, clicking through all their names here on Limitless. Only two of them do they come up with other results in their limitless pages, and they're both uh, top 16 and top 32 Champions League results, respectively. So, I mean, it's like, yeah, you, you don't see, like, the Shintaros in here. You don't see the Daichis, like the Japanese players we are all very familiar with. You don't see their names super consistently, and it might be the nature of the 3,000 people. It also could be the nature of just 10,000 people trying to register for the tournament. And Yeah, the water you know, system's like a factor of that as well. Some of these of good everything. players like uh, Yoshi and all like these people that we saw a lot last year. Um, now, Yoshi was like the one. Hmm? Yeah, Yoshi was like the one player who set up to me last season who like had like consistently showed up yeah. in multiple top 16s. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it definitely feels like um, yeah. When you like go through and like click on some of the limitless places, then it then it kind of stands out a little bit more. When you're like, oh wait, they just have like no other finishes at any of the other ones. But like, yeah, it, it might be a little bit of the product of the system. Um, I actually am curious as well. I guess like probably not that many players from Japan are actually listening. But do the players in Japan want best two out of three? Is that something the players in Japan actually want? I'd be curious That's to actually question. know that. To be honest, maybe they're all comfortable with best of one, and no one really wants. The, uh, the best two out of three. I think they definitely want a different invite structure, though. I think I saw Daichi tweeting about that towards uh, a little bit after Worlds. Once things, I guess, got announced maybe over in Japan. I thought I saw Daichi tweeting about that, how like the system is like the same again, and they just want a, like, a more... Uh, I guess it would be an easier system to qualify for Worlds, but like something that doesn't feel like it's so dependent on like getting into these major tournaments. Yeah, and then a more realistic like path. Yeah, more realistic path, more consistent path, something you can look at and kind of break down instead of being like, well, I hope I make it into the lottery through the lottery system a couple of times. Like, so yeah, I feel like it, uh, especially like with a lot of people talking about stuff recently about like how tough it can actually just be to play Pokemon right now when you really want to play Pokemon, unless you live in America, of course, but Europe and Latin America have their own problems as well. It seems like Japan has has quite a few problems with potentially their system that would be, uh, it'd be cool to see fixed. We just like hear about it a little bit less because it's a little bit more disconnected from the, the rest of the tournaments that are run by DPCI. Yeah. Well, let's keep it rolling here because we are already over an hour. We do have <laughs> uh, an event coming up this weekend. It's going to be a special event over in Europe. And the news, I, I don't know if this came out yesterday or today, but uh, over on the Pokemon website, you can see the 2024 regional and special event live broadcasts. Barcelona special event will be live streamed by the Pokemon company. And down at the bottom of the existed. page as well, they mention future tournaments, a lot of the, or all of the European regionals and special events, it looks like, are on the stream schedule. So, official streams at the European big tournaments, something we absolutely love to see, more coverage of all those things, and the fact that there's no overlap between the American and European, you know, tournaments, it's kind of cool. Like, you, if you're an American player, you'll get to watch these European events playing out and vice versa as well, right? Yeah, definitely cool to see. Um, I mean, no matter what, we're going to get a good show from the European regionals because Limitless uh, streamed all of their events last year and put on a very good show. Now yes. TPCI is taking over and doing the production, fully doing the production side of things, which is like, that's fine. Like, but it, like, we, like no matter what, we're going to get a good show because um, Limitless was, you know, taking care of it. But uh, so I don't know, like, if it really matters too much that TPCI took over, to be honest, but sure. them stepping up and kind of, Taking that extra control, I think, is like a good thing. It's like a, it's like a step in the right direction, you know, because like this could lead to then TPCI being like, "All right, we're coming to Latin America now, right? We're taking streaming all their major events, doing it again." So I think it is like a thing that we want to see happen. But no matter what, we're going to be getting a good show one way or the other, right? Because um, I think I think Limitless did actually stream every major tournament last year in Europe, all the all the special events, all the regionals. Maybe they missed yeah. one, um, so not too much has changed in terms of that. But I think it is like a a good sign that TPCI is taking over. And adding it to their uh, events, because we'll probably see the same thing moving forward, right? Next season, all the regionals, all the special events will be probably streamed again. So it's good to see. It also gives like a lot of opportunity to the European uh, casting talent, uh, I guess as well, um, to like get in on uh, not just casting the European events, but now they're doing it under TPCI, more chance for them to get into like the internationals, worlds, whatever that might be as well. So cool to see sure. for sure. Yep. Um, yeah. So exciting times over there for the European players and casters, and you know people working behind the scenes and all that stuff without a doubt all right um, before we move on because we aren't going to talk too much about like meta stuff for barcelona i don't think too much is going to change i think guardy players might add temple of Sinnoh, but let's make a prediction on who you think it was at least going to win the event pick an or, individual 
Yeah, pick an individual. Let's do something here. Pick an individual. The problem is an... who's registered for this thing. Isn't there yeah, only so it's like going to be a little bit of spots? A... All right, what about picking a deck then? Let's pick a deck. Well, you can pick a player. We just got to, okay. you know, roll the dice and hope they got they got let's in, pick, you know? Let's pick two players each. Let's pick two players each. Two I'll players let you, each. Okay. I'll let you start. Uh, Two players each. I am pretty sure I saw that this person got in. Uh, But I am going to go with Stefan as my first pick. I think Stefan's uh, definitely someone who, you know, I mean, he's won these big tournaments before. Um, He didn't have a great Worlds, and I think he wants to, you know, show out, right? So I'm going to go with Stefan. Definitely. I think Stefan is, like, one of the – I mean, Stefan, of course, like, does well. But, like, Stefan usually does pretty well at the special events, like, pretty consistently. And the special events in Europe are, like, they're just as big as their regionals. So um, I'm going to go with – I know Tord did not get in – um i'm gonna go with owen owen cameraman um i'll pick owen on this one who's your second player um with stefan let me go a little farther down from let me pick someone who's like less a player that we you know normally would highlight right because i feel like owen and stefan definitely fit that mold let's go with I'm going to go – don't know if he's registered. I'm going to go with Adam Hawkins. Always shows up with spicy decks, so I think he's going to have brought some spice. He's going to make it happen. He's the guy who played Agron at Worlds. He was one of the <laughs> first Agron. people to play Lost Box Rayquaza, and then that like yep. became a meta deck, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go with Adam Hawkins from Great Britain. All right, I'm going to go with uh, – now, Benji said – Benji was talking on Twitter about – players who registered and apparently they are registered i'm gonna go with magnus um who i think is like an under known european player um is a world senior champion, world man. yeah senior world champion um i don't think he has won any majors and masters if i believe um but i definitely dis- i definitely think magnus chooses to play some pretty bad decks sometimes at tournaments <laughs> for sure so i'm hoping magnus brings a good one this time around so yeah i'm gonna go with uh with magnus um on uh on this one for my for my second pick and we'll uh yeah we'll see how they do over in barcelona but yeah i don't think the meta's gonna change too much like i said and Guardverse might play temple of sino i don't know how lugia generally fares over in europe i mean they're huge everyone was huge fans of lugia when it was broken broken but um i don't know in this meta how much lugia to expect but uh definitely be curious i guess one thing like specifically about europe i feel like europe does sometimes just like not play decks that americans play arceus decks in the past have sometimes felt like one of those decks are Europeans Maridon players is something that I'm curious about. I feel like, no, they're not like Reggie's was another deck that was like doing really well in America, showing up in pretty big numbers. There were some, some pretty good players playing Reggie's in Europe as well, but did it feel like it was a, a very popular, it was not like Maridon, popular with the masses. Yeah. But I feel like Maridon could also be one of those decks. I'm curious to see if Maridon shows up for Europe or not. I guess we'll find out uh, this weekend. Um, yeah. Let's go ahead and move on chip. Yeah, let's do it. Let's move on to our next topic here. Talking about the judging that occurred this past weekend in Pittsburgh. And, uh, you know, there was a couple of instances that kind of occurred on the stream that made me kind of wonder, are judges going to be maybe a little less harsh, a little more lenient to things that happen on stream this year? There was a couple games last year that really highlighted um, how kind of silly some of the rules are, right? Yeah, I felt like uh, you were a part of one of them in uh, OCIC yeah. where your opponent, uh, Cameron, drew 
and a card from his deck instead of taking a prize card twice, I think, because yeah. his <laughs> deck and his prize cards were on opposite sides of what he was used to. And, you know, he's on stage, all the lights and stuff. And he just got a double prize penalty twice for that. And it's like such a like you do gain an advantage theoretically. So like, I understand there being these things, but it like feels like they're effectively game ending penalties. A double prize penalty yeah. is very, very close to just being a game loss. Yeah. It's uh, definitely a lot of them feel pretty bad. It's also a really bad look for the game. It also just like not fun to watch. You tune into a stream you're like, Ooh, okay. This game's going back and forth. Some gets a double prize penalty. And you're like, okay, I'm going to go get lunch. Maybe I'll watch the next it round, does kill right? The like, momentum there, yeah, it kills the vibe. vibe, it kills the momentum. And I think most of those penalties, some of them, of course, some penalties are warranted. And I don't think the stream should be favored over what is uh, dealt out at the, you know, in the general tables outside of the stream match. Like, I think there should be the same rulings. But I think mm-hmm. in general, the rulings, whether they're just out on stream or at the normal tables, are just too harsh right now in general. Um, I think it should be more of an accumulative effect where if like if you have priors of doing the same thing, then it should be a little bit harsher of a penalty. But like the first time you might actually see an extra card off research, that shouldn't be a prize penalty. If you can kind of if a judge can look at the scenario and be like, yeah, that was definitely a mistake uh, in like especially Cameron's situation where it was like, oh, you're playing left handed when you're normally used to playing right handed or whatever it was for Cameron. Um, okay we're not going to give you a double prize penalty for this first time. Maybe the second time Cameron should have got a double prize penalty for the follow-up one. I don't know. I have to like think about that a little bit further, but for the first one, they definitely should have. Cause like, Oh, this is obviously a mistake. We can understand why Cameron made this mistake. They're playing left-handed instead of right-handed. So when they went to go for a prize card, it's where their deck is now. So they went and drew a card off their deck. If the card, if the deck is truly supposed to be random, the card that Cameron got was random. Just put it back on top of the deck and shuffle the deck or whatever, whatever the procedure they want the procedure to be, whether it be put it back on top of the deck and shuffle the deck or reveal to me and then put it back on top of the deck. It doesn't really matter. Just pick one. They're about equal. Um, and then if it does compile and there's multiple offenses of the same kind or similar, then I think the penalties are are reasonable. But I think looking at like a DPL initially for your first time by actually seeing like an extra card off of a research is just kind of silly um so yeah it's cool to see them start to be a little bit more nuanced in their um analysis of the situations Um, i guess like one other thing i'd like to add to that as well though as far as the judging goes and it does seem like over the years they have been starting to do this more is i think the um maintaining game state should be on both players more and more and i think that'll eliminate a lot of the situations where people try and take advantage of you know letting their opponent mess up by accident um so it would kind of mostly eliminate those right i think i think board state should be both players should maintain almost 100 percent um uh what is the word i'm looking for uh responsibility for maintaining the board state right almost right especially when it's like like if yeah especially when it's like someone plays luminian under path no if neither player says anything or does anything to stop it the player continues to look with luminian into their deck then at that point, I think it's kind of on both players at that point. You know, if one player's like, no, 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 don't do that. You know, the opponent is like, yo, you can't do that. And the opponent and the person still picks up their deck and starts to look through it and then realizes that their opponent's trying to stop them from doing something that breaks the board state. You know, on that point, it's on the person who played the Luminian. But up until that point, I think, you know, both players should be maintaining the board state as accurately yeah. as they can. So I'd like to, and it does feel like the rulings in general have been shifting more that direction. So that's cool to see these things that happen on stream. Um, but yeah, I think we're heading in the right direction. It feels like we're heading in the right direction overall. Yeah, so let's highlight the two things that happened on stream this weekend that kind of brought up this topic uh, for us this week. So the first one was in round seven of Swiss in day number one. We have a player on the right here, Jake Abrams, who's actually a Pittsburgh local, hosts the Pittsburgh Pokemon podcast. And on the left here, Christian is a Pokemon TCG YouTuber as well. 
uh, Sneaker Talk TCG. So, you know, two creators kind of going at it here on the stream. And Jake has a play here lined up where he's got everything available, has to lost vacuum away this bravery charm on the Raikou to get to seven in the lost zone, play Mirage Gate, has the switch cart in hand to just knock out this active Raikou, take two prizes, and... Uh, take the lead in the game as far as the prize race goes. Uh, but as he plays this turn out here, plays like a pow pad or something like that, use, he used his four seal stone during this turn and then plays his mirage gate before playing the lost vacuum in his hand. And it was not caught immediately by either player or the judges at the table, but it was realized pretty quickly and brought to the attention of the judges. They stop it. And you see he has everything here. It's just a little bit of like a missequence of actions. Yeah. Uh, on Jake's part. So the judges stopped the game, reviewed the situation, and ultimately the decision was given as a warning to Jake since he had just searched his deck with Forest Sealstone, saying that he had perfect knowledge of everything in his deck so he didn't gain any information by searching his deck with Mirage Gate before playing the Lost Vacuum out of his hand. Now, this is one that I maybe would question like just a little bit, right? Because... Do we, it does feel like a little bit of a gray area to I, I could totally understand this being a double prize penalty. Um, and it does feel almost a little weird to de-escalate a penalty due to missequencing because that's something that's very much on the player, right? Yeah, definitely is. Um, but it's not missequencing in terms of like, you know, I'm trying to think about like a, a good example here. It's not like a sequence break that caused a gain in information. Yeah, there's like theoretically no gain in information. Um, and it's not like a sequence break where it's like I'm trying to think of like a better example here. I can't think of anything. Oh, like you forget like to if use he comfy. played Mirage Gate after like immediately yeah. to start the turn without having searched his deck already or something like that. Yeah, well right? if you like forgot to use comfy and then you switch into Sableye and then you attack with Sableye with nine, right? It's like, well, at that point you're just kinda of locked into that play. You can't go back to your comfy and use it. But this one is like pretty straightforward. It's like it's very obvious what was going on, what was happening. Um, and it was just like a missequence. And there was like, yeah, no information uh, was really gained here at all from Jake. So I, I, this is the kind of rulings where I really like to see that this happen. Now, if Jake did it again in game two, I think a double prize penalty is fine or a game loss, whatever you want to go sure. at from there. But I think it's like first time mess up in a set. Maybe the first time Jake has made up uh, or had to get like a judge ruling in general throughout the tournament. I think if yeah, the way this was this was handled uh, is like, I think it's perfect. I think it's like fine. And I, I want to see like more of this personally. Um, now, like I said, you can only play so sloppy before you should start to get penalties. But if this is like Jacob's first offense or Jake's first offense, then um, I think this is like a perfect way to handle it. And the other instance happened actually in the top four. So we have Colin here on the right who played Alessa Sparkle earlier in this turn and then used Forest Sealstone to go fetch out Judge and then plays the Judge and immediately puts his hand into the deck before anyone has a chance to stop him. Um and you know what i'm taking note of here what's that andrew doesn't have bench space for manaphy that mew would have done work uh right here against that greninja <laughs> that's what uex oh my gosh yeah, <laughs> yeah. in the I'm in the joking. mew vmax deck it's just a mew, hey, mew deck i don't know yeah why not we can rock it <laughs> mew mew get the extra mew in there we'll have to ask xander what he thinks about it the the professor <laughs> of playing non-fusion strike pokemon in your mew deck um yeah. but yeah it, it does get caught it does get caught does get stopped and what the judges did in this instance i can shed a little light on this i guess since i was backstage was 
came back and actually looked at the replay and they were able to identify every card that Colin had in hand and place them back into his hand. Normally in this instance, a player shuffles their hand into the deck. It's unrewindable, unretrievable. So it's just a game loss for that player. And you yeah. hate to see like a top four match end in a way like that, right? Yeah, once again, it's such back. a bad look for the game. Like it's it's so good to see this kind of resolution happening. And I I know people have like made the argument in the past. Well, it's like, well, you're not always gonna have a judge sitting next to you if you're in your normal rounds or you're not on stream, so the stream can't catch things or people backstage can't catch things. So they should hold them to the same standards as like a a player just like playing at tables. But even when you're playing at tables, like sometimes it's like a he said she said situation. But there was a judge standing right there who caught actually what happened and then can then um you know back up one side or the other and then the ruling gets put in that favor, right? So it's like the same thing where it's like nothing is ever going to be truly be fair in those aspects. So we should just whenever the game can be played out as fairly as possible and as much Pokemon can be played as possible, we should always just try and accomplish that. Uh, and of course, yeah, not everyone's going to be a stream match with a judge sitting or two judges sitting right there. Uh, with the stream watching, so the production in the back can have an influence, the chat could have an influence with like, oh, this messed up. And then from the chat, they take it to the, the judge and then the judge can influence the game. Like, um, that's true, but there's also not going to sometimes just randomly be a judge there watching your game versus what, not watching someone else's game just at the normal table. So there's always going to be some variables like that, but we may as well try and maximize the amount of fair Pokemon that can be played, right? Yeah, so this took something that would have normally been a game loss, and Colin did still receive a double prize penalty for this, which I think is fair in this instance, right? Shuffle your whole hand into the deck. They had to stop the game for all this time. You're in top four of the tournament as well on the stream. So I think a double prize penalty is is fine for this, but a de-escalation from what the recommended penalty is, which is just a game loss. Well, at that point, I feel like it should just be a game loss. A double prize penalty almost 100% of the time is a game loss. Sure. So I know like uh, Pram has specifically been like pretty adamant about this. Like double prize penalties are just silly because they're almost always just game losses anyways. Like what's the point? Yeah. Um, and that's why I think some kind of escalation system is better. Like, I think if this is Colin's first big mess up in the tournament that a judge has had to come over and like uh, fix, then I think this shouldn't be any kind of penalty. It should be a warning. And if it happens again, then you give them a game loss. Like, just escalate trade to a game loss. I know you can still win. In this instance, since it's able to be, they're able yeah, to Yeah, because you can just re end. recreate yeah. it, fix the broken board state to back to what it should be with minimal, if no knowledge gain from either player. Um, then I think it should just be a uh, a warning and then kind of move on. And then if it happens again, then you give them the game loss. Um, even And I'm one of the players who was like, I was able to win on at OCIC. I came back from a double prize penalty and won a game on stream. Like, so uh, it can be done, but I feel like the system is just so bad right now. We're just giving out double prize losses or double prize penalties like, <laughs> like candy and they're effectively game losses. So yeah, I'm not a big fan of that, that kind of system that we have going on right now. So hopefully it, I would like to see a change in the future. So the real question and the real way we're going to see if this is something that's changing this year is going to be like when someone inadvertently during setup draws their mulligan before they put the prizes out or something like that. Like, is that yeah. person going to be given a two prize penalty for something so silly and minor is well, what I'm I'm curious to see. So we'll keep our eye on that and uh, keep everyone updated as more tournaments happen throughout the yeah. year. I would, I don't want them to. I would I hope that's like that's something that we can remove from the game is double prize penalty or double prize penalties for seeing an extra card on the first offense. Um, but if that's what they're dishing out at the normal tables, that's what they should dish out. I feel like at uh, or on stream because like no extra amount of stream watchers and uh, production watching in the back or judges at the table stops you from seeing the extra card, right? So if that's what they're dishing out at the normal tables, that's what they should dish out on stream still. As far as that goes, uh, but obviously like with the camera here with the judge, you can get the cards that you shuffle into your deck out of the deck from the judge because we can watch the video all right well let's move on before we get to guess that flavor text 
uh, to our sponsor segment. And of course, we do have to give a huge thanks to Dragon Shield for being a sponsor of the Uncommon Energy podcast. Dragon Shield makes some of the best card gaming and tabletop gaming products, accessories on the market, including sleeves, binders, deck boxes, and so much more. Azul, only six rounds out of your sleeves this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Did you waste a pack of Blood Reds on six rounds? No, I used a blue color. I'm not sure which blue I used this round. I didn't do that. The mid day one re-sleeve that you well, you were be... done before mid. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> That never happened <laughs> because I was done so quickly. That is true. Yeah. So no mid round or mid day one Reesley for me. I forget the blue ones that I was rocking, but uh, yeah, big shout out to Dragon Shield for always keeping my cards protected. Um, you can check them out over at dragonshield.com slash webshop slash EU or US or find them literally anywhere else. And with that, it is time to move on. To guess that flavor text, I feel like we need to get some like theme music going or something. <laughs> do, 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 do. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Guess that flavor text, of course, the recurring segment here on the show where each week either Azul or I will pick a card, read the flavor text, and have the other host try to guess which Pokemon that card is featured on. Or what Pokemon is featured on that card. Kind of got that. Got there. But here we are. <laughs> uh, you do get three lifelines. The lifelines are what set the card is from, what stage the card is, and read an attack name. Four points for no lifelines, and you lose a point every time you have to use a lifeline. I don't know exactly what the score is. I know I'm ahead. Azul has a chance here to catch back up. I think I'm ahead like three, maybe four points, something like that. Maybe. Let's see if I can make up some ground here. Yep. So, Azul, are you ready for your card this week? I'm ready. Hit me with the chip. All right. Its body can't be harmed by any sort of attack, so it is very eager to make challenges against enemies. All right, that one's tough. So it's like some kind of rock Pokemon or like fighting Pokemon, probably. I'm trying to think of Pokemon that are just like maybe like a Geodude. I guess it could be. Um, but yeah, some kind of like rock Golem, Geodude, Volcart, maybe. Um, let's go with what set the card is for from so i did think this flavor text was kind of hard but the reason i rolled with it was because i thought that maybe the set it was from would help you maybe not in the sense of knowing what cards are in the set but in the sense of narrowing things down because this card is from neo discovery sheesh um old school here old school now i'm thinking maybe like so it's not like Carcoal or what else? I say, oh, it could be Golem. I guess I don't think there's like a Golem. Now I'm thinking like Rhyhorn maybe. Rhyhorn is like got like a yeah. We'll go. What stage? The what stage is the card? It is a stage two. Sheesh. Okay, stage two. Metagross maybe then. It could be a Metagross. Steel Pokemon. Magnezone. Metagross. Let's go with an attack name. Maybe that'll get me a little bit closer. Although they could have similar attack names, I assume. Trample trample so it's not magnezone or metagross it's a stage two and it's body it can't be harmed by attacks read me the uh, the uh, flavor text one more yeah. time before i make a guess here its body can't be harmed by any sort of attack so it is very eager to make challenges against enemies and what set is it from it is from neo discovery discovery is like the fossil set right i assume I assume there's fossils in that. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I think there are fossils in the set, yes. Yeah, so that's what I'm thinking about. And I'm trying to think about what back then, what fossil Pokemon were there? Aerodactyl, 
maybe Kabutops. Although I feel like Kabutops could probably be. I have no clue at this point about this one. Stage two, trample. Maybe no. And I am just like stuck on this one now. Golem is what I'm thinking now. Golem's a stage two, right? Golem is a stage two. I'm gonna go with of other old fossils. I'm gonna go Kabutops. It's not Kabutops though. I'm going with Golem. No, but Golem doesn't have Trample. As I'm trying to think, like, what has Trample? Old Pokemon has Trample. Yeah, I'm... Oh! Rhyhorn. I feel like you could get this one. I feel like our listeners have gotten this one. Several of us. Yeah, they've already locked it in. All right, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to go with uh, (laughs) Tops. I don't know on this one. There actually is a Tops in this set. Ooh, okay. Well, there's fossils, right? So there's not that many fossils back then. Sure. But yeah. this is not Kabutops. Yeah, I didn't think so. What are we this rocking with? This Azul is Tyranitar. Oh, okay. Tyranitar from Neo Discovery. The first ever Tyranitar card, I'm pretty sure as well. I, Iconic I card. I do feel kind of obligated to tell you, by the way, that neither Metagross nor Magnazone existed. Oh. At this time. <laughs> <laughs> what do we have? Magnemite and Magneton. Those yeah, existed, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. See, my generations of Pokemon are a little bit off for sure. I almost gave surprised. you Slam, but I felt bad. I was like, okay, maybe Trample will help him out a little bit more for the no, attack. I would have never guessed Tyrantar would have had that flavor text where its body can't be harmed by any sort of attack yeah i don't know i wouldn't have thought of t-tar as that yeah that pokemon but it, yeah, it makes sense yeah. yeah yeah i mean it is like a cocoon type thing on its body i feel like right yeah because of what All it right. evolves from so but yeah better luck into another l <laughs> another l for me now let's move on we got a bunch of new cards to talk about so um, many good cards yeah and the first one is going to be the Jirachi. 70 HP. It's got that Stellar Veil ability. Attacks from your opponent's basic Pokemon. Can't put damage damage on your opponent's benched or on your bench Pokemon. Excuse me. And then the attack, charge, energy, search, deck for two basic energy cards. Reveal them and put them into your hand. Not great. One retreat cost. That's for a colorless as well on the attack. Um, but yeah, definitely an anti-Sableye card. So this, this card completely shuts down Sableye from putting damage counters on your bench Pokemon. Can still put damage on the active. Sableye isn't the only thing putting damage counters on bench Pokemon in the Lost Zone deck. Greninja is also a threat. So how effective do you think this Jirachi is going to be at shutting down Sableye? Because that's basically all it does is shut down Sableye. Yeah, I feel like this is a card that like most people are not going to play, to be honest. Yeah, because you have to bench this and Manaphy to really get any real effect out of this because otherwise greninja is just like sniping this and sniping something else right pokemon is keeping with their theme though of like printing like very obvious direct counter cards like it's no secret why this card is being printed right it's because of it's how even... good how dominant sableye <laughs> has been the past year now how do you think they this was this is an emergency print or do you think this is already like planned out for a while like we're gonna let lost run around for this long well, I almost wonder if Sableye is better than they thought it was going to be, right? Yeah, that's it definitely feels like it. It feels like it was maybe too good. It feels like Sableye, it felt like Sableye... I mean, do you remember when we first Pokemon. talked about Sableye? No. Okay, it was the episode that stuff. Andrew was on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And we were, looked at the new cards. Yeah. And it, 
listen, I mean, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but I did say <laughs> this card seems pretty good to me. I don't know. It does depend on how good the loss zone stuff is, but I think it seems pretty good. And you and Andrew were both like, bro, you got to get 10 cards in the loss zone. This card is <laughs> terrible. <laughs> yeah, I guess a little bit wrong on that one. Um, but that's fine. It won me an international championship, so I'll, uh, yeah, yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. But yeah, yeah I mean, I this mean, Pokemon just kind of keeping with their theme. I don't really think it's going to be super played. Uh, I mean, unless people really want their board to look like this, like Azul <laughs> said, throwing a Manaphy out there, a Spiritomb, Solrock, Lunatone, why not get him in the party? You get that call for family Solrock so you can get all these Pokemon <laughs> get in Get the play. squad set up. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, you're going to need that plus Manaphy. But if that does just beat Lawson for your deck, right? Because a lot of decks are still going to run Manaphy anyway. So it's just really, at the end of the day, it is just a one-card inclusion, right? You know what and if, deck it's if probably best in? Huh. Lost box. It's ooh in the mirror match. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a mirror tech. That's probably yeah. where this card fits the best. Oh yeah. Well, I guess when you and your opponent both bench this and Manaphy, you're both attacking with crams. <laughs> <laughs> like, you put down Manaphy, Jirachi, Turmoil going first. They put it down going second, and then you just like chain crams from there. Yeah, I guess that could be the the way things go. Maybe some kind of canceling clone builds. You know, come Who out, knows, man. Crosswitcher canceling cologne lost box could happen. Could happen. Got Pokestops so could get a lot of that, a lot of those item cards for you. Um, we also do have a new special energy. This card's not great, but like it does something unique, right? It's a just a colorless special energy. When you attach this card from your hand to one of your Pokemon, heal 30 damage from that Pokemon. So I don't think there's anything right now that stands out to me that this goes super yeah. well with, but like I wouldn't be surprised to see this card be played at some point in its life for sure. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, healing thirty is like decent for sure. Like for sure, healing healing thirty is decent, but it's always hard to fit these kind of cards in decks, to be honest. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, in decks that like already have a colorless, you know, attack cost, like it, it could definitely, I think, make its way into something. Um, but where things get definitely crazy is where a bunch of ancient Pokemon were revealed, ancient and future Pokemon. Future. So this is for the Japanese sets. Ancient Roar and Future Flash. They're going to be released on October 27th, and we're going to get them in November. So about a month later, what's what week does no Paradox Rift come out? Oh, it'll release Friday, November 3rd. So we're literally getting this a week after Japan gets their set. That's is okay. That the we're closest, on track. Is that the closest ever set release? Yeah, Obsidian Flames and Ruler of the Black Flame was two weeks, or was yeah. that like a week as well? So this is big. This is like them. Now, we have to see how consistent they are with this, but I assume with these two releases, back-to-back, -back, being this close, I, of course, 151 is a waste. <laughs> <laughs> that, one, that one, you know, was not great in the release timing compared to these two. But that's, yeah, that's like super close compared to how long do we usually have to wait? A month? Sometimes two? Yeah. To yeah. get the cards? But this is literally just like a week or so, a week or so difference. And uh, it already seems like, because we haven't heard any news so far, that our rotation is going to line up with Japan's as well. That's really sick to see them kind of aligning us with Japan. Finally, it's taken since the game's existence, <laughs> since the game initially uh, came out, you know, 23, 27 years. When did the Pokemon first set come out? 1999. Uh, so like 24 years, 25 years, but yeah. 25 years later, hey, the set releases are aligning. So I don't know if like way back in the day they were close as well. I don't think so, though. So some correct me on that in the comments, but it's really cool to see. I think it's like a big deal to see that. It's like it's gonna make it so much nicer to play in uh, the Europe 
in Europe and the US because we get to like figure things out alongside Japan instead yeah. of like Japan figures out stuff first it'll and leave like a little super bit more advances mystery. our metagame before we even have a chance yeah. to experience it, it'll, right? It'll leave yeah, it'll let us experience stuff uh that hasn't already been solved. And then it'll leave a little bit more a little bit more of a question mark on our, our first couple of major events when the set just releases. Whereas instead of taking all of Japan's knowledge and then yep. building on that, we gotta come with our own knowledge first. So um, these cards will be legal for play at LAIC, which is definitely a big deal. That's how um, they usually time up too, right? The ICs are usually which is gonna be what a little they try weird to now. do. I guess the market set. world's pretty bad, but yeah, and OCIC doesn't exist anymore, so there will be a little bit of a set will release and no IC to go with it. But yeah, yeah, these will be available at LAIC. Let's go ahead and talk about him, the big boy that everyone has been talking about on Twitter, and that is Iron Hands EX. It's a future Pokemon. It's a lightning type, 230 HP. It is a basic for two lightning and a colorless. It has arm press for 160. Not anything special there, but where it yeah. does shine is the strength amplifier for one lightning and three colorless energy. So a pretty big commitment to power this guy up. One lightning, three colorless. If your opponents are sorry, one lightning, three colorless, 120 damage for the base. And then if your opponent's active Pokemon is knocked out by damage from this attack, take one additional prize card. So yeah. ADP, Stoutland, all these cards that people have hated over the years. Is this just the next incarnation of it? Is this really worth all the fuss? Because people have been going crazy over this card, thinking and it's mostly break the game. Yeah, mostly in like fear and hatred of the card. But like we've had Articuno, we've had Plasma Lugia. Neither of those were like anything to worry about. And I think after the most recent uh uh seemingly unnecessary panic over turbo patch like just wait and see how it plays out just like it could be broken and it could be make the game really unfun but we don't know that yet right give it a so, chance yeah i think just like wait let the card come out we'll see how good it is we'll see how the meta kind of evolves around it maybe it is really good but maybe that just makes some decks bad which makes other decks good and the meta still if the game is still fun and enjoyable it doesn't matter if powerful cards exist so yeah i think people are just kind of losing their minds over nothing to be honest we haven't played with the card yet in the past sometimes people lose their minds over some stuff and i think it is fair to say like well we've had the mu v maxes the palkias the the lugias and those have been pretty unenjoyable decks to exist in the meta but it doesn't mean this will be another one of those just because it does what stoutland used to kind of do like four energy for an attack is a lot of energy yeah now, there's a couple different ways to power this thing up lost on with mirage gate we've got uh generator and flaffy you've got charizard plus luminous energy or even basic lightnings depending on what you want to do there chi and pow yeah backscalibur with lightning energy or luminous energy so there's a ton of ways to power it up i don't know do i really want to be playing luminous energy in my backscalibur chi and pow deck i don't think so so uh <laughs> i think you would just still play it... a basic lightning energy because you get it back with yeah Superior, probably right? so let's just yeah. let it come out we'll see how it cooks and then let's go from there yeah if it really is that big of a deal then we can you know get the pitfork pitchforks out and kind of uh, demand a ban but until that happens i think yeah it might just be uh an okay card in some decks i do think it seems solid that's kind of my take on this card right yeah, now i don't good. think it's going to make the game like unplayable unfun but i do think that like this is a Hopefully. solid card that's kind of my opinion right now we'll see though um i mean there yeah you mentioned kind of the two main ways to power it up maridon being able to use Gener generator and flaffy and then mirage gate and the lost zone decks um i think those seem like two very reasonable ways to try to play this card for sure so we'll see what ends up happening. Um, we got a couple of other Pokemon. Slitherwing. Let's Slitherwing. move on to the, the Sandy Shocks. Yes, we do have Sandy Shocks here. 220 HP. 
ancient Pokemon. It is a basic fighting type EX. It has the ability Magnetic Attraction. This ability can be used once during your turn. If your opponent has four or fewer prize cards remaining, attach a basic fighting energy from your discard pile to this Pokemon. And then Ground Spark for 200 damage. This Pokemon can't attack during your next turn. So this ability is super interesting because... You know, in theory, it doesn't let you be super aggressive, but it lets you respond to, you know, your opponent maybe getting a little ahead or it lets you, you know, have more tempo in the late game. Yeah. But its attack just isn't <laughs> <Yeah>. like incredible, right? <laughs> the stats are pretty weak on it, but there is a lot of the big things for the future in ancient Pokemon are definitely the trainer cards that we'll get into in a second here. But yeah, 220 HP, 200 damage. Yeah, attack next turn. I don't know. Yeah, the ability is really, really good, right? But the rest of it doesn't seem like it holds up enough to make it the card good maybe you do something with like energy switch though right yeah right the fighting into play energy switch them off i could see something like that that could be the move here maybe um but i think with it's that we what can go ahead Ting and... Lu needs to get powered up right yeah i mean you're already losing the game at that point which means you've lost the game Ting Lu <laughs> has opponent, to be the one who like you're draws definitely the first gonna, your opponent's definitely gonna be a four prize cards because they took a free <laughs> two on your first Ting Lu. <laughs> consistently active against Ting Lu. yeah definitely um yeah, we can go ahead and get into some of those trainer cards unless you want to take a look at the uh, Iron Jugulus. Jug <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, let's go and get the Iron Jugulus as a, just as a Pokemon. <laughs> um, I mean, no, oh, I think no on this one. I, mean, I don't know because the trainer cards are the ones that like make the big difference here, right? We got the the Future Boost Energy Capsule. The Future Pokemon this card is attached to has no retreat cost, pretty good, and the attacks it uses do twenty more damage to your opponent's active Pokemon. Pretty good tool card. Free retreat, uh, yeah. twenty damage. Can't complain. They literally took two of the best tool cards in the history of the game, argue like two top five tool cards, maybe the two top two tool cards, Muscle Band and Floatstone, and just made them one card. Now, obviously, yeah. they can only be used on future Pokemon. So I think that uh, it's super, I think it's cool that they would give us something like this that only works for certain things as opposed to just like a blanket good tool. Yeah. I like to see like the variety, <laughs> right? Yeah. I don't want to see Floatstone reprinted. I don't want to see, you know, Muscle Band, balloon. Expert Belt, or any of these other broken tools from over the years. I don't really want to see these cards reprinted, but something like Some this, Some form I think... of limitation is nice. Even like Choice Belt, only, you know, the V Pokemon. Yeah. Defiance Band, you got to be behind, stuff like that. Vitality Band being neutrally plus 10, I think is fine, though. No one's really... Sure. Uh, <laughs> I think broken. that's a very fine card to exist in the format, for sure. Yeah. Um, but this combos, like, you can obviously use it with the the whatever it's Iron called. Hands. Iron Hands hit a little bit harder. The Free Retreat, of course, is cool. But I think it's going to combo best with the uh, the Gallade, or whatever it's called, the Gallade Guard 4-1. Um, because the Free Retreat allows you to yep. move back and forth between your Gallades to get the extra 20 damage ping from the ability. And then the plus 20 damage, I mean, I think that with Lost Zone is going to be pretty good. And then you add the, the Future Boost Energy Capsule, the Free Retreat on your Gallades, the plus 20 damage. Hitting, instead of 200 damage, you're hitting for 220. I think it's a big difference maker with all the damage spread you're going to be doing in some kind of Lost, type, lost, uh, lost Box type build will be pretty strong. And then we do have the Ancient Booster Energy Capsule as well. Another tool card. It is an Ancient card. The Ancient Pokemon this card is attached to gets plus 60 HP, recovers from all special conditions, and can't be affected by any special conditions. So Any shocks? 280. Definitely now. feels worse than the other one, but, I mean, it's just like they're trying to do, like, different things, right? Yeah. One's about, yeah. like, aggression, and this one's kind of about, you know, survivability, maybe, something like that. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just another cool, it's a very powerful tool card, but yeah, only ancient Pokemon. And you, if you do look at the stats of the ancient and uh, future Pokemon, the stats neutrally are just not that good, right? We look at Sandy Shocks, meh, but plus 60 HP, that definitely makes a difference, right? So um, definitely the item, the trainer cards are what's making these Pokemon probably more viable than not. And uh, one of the most powerful cards probably to come out of the, the set for the ancient Pokemon, Professor Sada's determination, choose two of your ancient Pokemon and attach one basic energy from your discard pile to each of them and then draw three cards. So it, actually, to be honest, this feels like a more powerful welder. Combo yeah, I Ninja. agree. You also got the stadium coming out that says discard an energy card from your hand, draw a card, right? Get that in there. Greninja, your Sada, attach return, you know, you're swinging um, and setting up a ton of energy in play, playing four of these we have to chain a bunch of ancient Pokemon attack after attack. And like I said, though, the stats on the ancient Pokemon aren't really that high, but, you know, being able to set, like, the Slitherwing that we were looking at earlier, 140 HP, and then it does 120 damage for two fighting energy, just one after the other going uh, on and on and on. It seems like it could be, like, that could even be, like, a decent threat. No other ancients yeah, are really absolutely. Hard to yeah, and, and I think... Uh, wait, what's up? No, go ahead. <laughs> Another good card for the ancient Pokemon. Yeah, and uh, kind of just, like, a blanket good card in general yeah is the earth vessel you must discard a card from your hand in order to use this card search your deck for up to two basic energy cards reveal them and put them in your hand then shuffle your deck so it is a professor's letter but you have to discard a card to use it i was actually having this conversation backstage we were i was backstage at the tournament when these cards were getting revealed and i read this card to kyle sablehouse for the first time and his immediate reaction was they made professor's letter better. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of, I think at first glance, a lot of people would look at this and say like, you have to discard a card. How is it better? Professor's letter was a card for those who don't know. You just literally played it, search your deck for two energy. And that was it. And that card was like really powerful. It got played in a decent amount of decks. Um, it was never, and, it never felt broken though. It wasn't like broken by any means, but it was really good. And I think they yeah. thought it was like kind of too much value for one card. And that's why we haven't seen decks. it get reprinted and it's just been energy search is what's been printed ever yeah. since professor letter rotated but this you know feels like it's the same effect but you have to discard a card which can be a downside in some decks but can be a massive upside in some others yeah i think the it's never too much of a drawback um <clears throat> yeah it's never too much of a drawback to discard that uh like one card right like with ultra ball discarding two cards that can feel pretty uh resource intensive at times discarding one card not quite as resource intensive um and the value is definitely there for sure right that two energy you get so um and the trade-off is like sometimes you do want to discard the energy right you look at the sada's determination you want energy in your discard yeah. pile so if you yeah. use this to discard an energy to get two energy then use another one to discard one of those energy to get two energy attach return sada's for two kind of cooking right this combo is really well with greninja and you plus your attachment for turn as well like that's kind of crazy We'll get two energy. Greninja gets rid of one. You draw two cards. You attach return with the other. Oh my Sadas, We're cooking, you know. So we're probably playing four the of these in like a, a little bit, brother. You're about to run <laughs> us off here. <laughs> so yeah, definitely powerful card. Definitely. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Like, is the discard effect more of a balancing tool? Uh, because this isn't like limited to ancient Pokemon either, right? This is right. just a card, right? So it is. It's kind it of similar, this reminds me of something ancient, like but... Echoing Horn, right? Re Echoing Horn is a rapid strike card, but you like and Mew though. Yeah, yeah, right. You, you play it in anything, right? But yeah. like, you wouldn't go around playing Rapid Strike Energy in anything, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know. Speaking of a another card that'll probably be played in quite a few things that aren't just future decks, we got Professor Turo's scenario. Turo, put one of your Pokemon into your hand. Discard all cards attached to that Pokemon. So this is basically a reprint of AZ, right? It's exactly what yeah. AZ did. 
you go Pokemon, you get all the Pokemon, none of the other stuff attached. I think it's definitely like a more balanced kind of Ace of Rolla, right? I think stuff like Ace of Rolla and Charon's Care. Charon's Care, we didn't really see it being too powerful because there's always stuff that kind of overpowered Arceus in some ways. So Arceus was never like a quad Charon's Care type Arceus deck was never like broken, right? But back in the day, Ace of Rolla, I think, was too powerful. Same thing with something like a Guzma. It was just doing too much. So uh, this is just a good card. I, I think AZ, let's just say AZ was back in the day. AZ never felt broken. Uh, it was just a good card. Uh, AZ did the exact same thing as Professor Turo Scenario does. And I think it's just going to be a good card. Once again, future card, but it doesn't have to be just used on future Pokemon. But a future card that does have to just be used on future stuff, not just Pokemon, but future stuff, <laughs> is the Techno Radar. You must discard a card from your hand in order to use this card. Search your deck for up to two future Pokemon cards. Oh, for some reason, I thought this was like Tag Call. This was how I was remembering it. This is like oh, you could get that any would be thing. That might be too good. <laughs> yeah, you go get Tag the Call was plus you go get good. the tool plus the Iron Valiant. That would be probably yeah. too good. But yeah, discard a card in order to use this card. Search your deck for up to two future Pokemon cards. Reveal them and put them into your hand. Then shuffle your deck. Azul. Your Iron Valiant donk, donk deck is all coming together with yeah, this we're almost card there. right here. Unfortunately, we can't search out our 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 future boost energy capsules, but we play four of those, so we'll probably draw into one. Here, yes. I feel like the discard effect is like a balancing part. Like it feels like discarding the the extra card for this card does not feel uh, like it could be a buff compared to just kind of making it balanced, right? Discarding the extra card. Of course, it's Pokemon, so being able to discard stuff isn't always a bad thing, but um, definitely seems strong, right? Uh, yep. Mela, support a card. You can play this card only if any of your Pokemon were knocked out during your opponent's last turn. Attach one basic fire energy from your discard out to one of your Pokemon. If you do, then draw cards and you have six in your hand. So, kind of like Raihan, but only for fire energy, which fire has been lacking some support for quite a while now. Maybe this is the tipping point, but then also the draw effect is pretty powerful. Draw up to six is, is pretty solid as well. So, solid supporter for sure. Nothing too special. Yeah, but it's never going to be played as more of like a one or two of, I feel like, just because like of the nature of you're only able to play it at very specific times. Kind of similar to Raihan. No, I mean, there were decks that played multiple like Cynthia's Ambition and stuff like that, but that's because that card could do something outside of turns where it was, you know, something was being knocked out. This is like just going to be a one of. Maybe it could be, you know, have a spot in a Charizard deck. You get Ionode to low and... You need some help. You need an extra energy in play. Maybe you used your Charizard to power up your Arceus, and then now that got knocked out. You've got no energy on your Charizard. Boom, oh, no. you mela to it and attach for turn. <laughs> there we go. Maybe that's the place for it. And then uh, one more supporter card. We do have the uh, Tulip. Put up to four in any combination of Psychic Pokemon and basic Psychic Energy cards from your discard pile into your hand. They gave us Purple Nessa. Yeah, Purple Nessa. Um, I mean, Guardies might like that. I don't know. Super Rod's so powerful. Why are we ever playing this over using yeah. Super Rod plus Iona, our opponent? Although this, now this card, I think this might be some fuel for Zatu more than anything, maybe. Oh Remember my Zatu? gosh, back to the stupid recover, Zatu. Recover the Zatu line. Recover your attacker. <laughs> get energy to accelerate with the Zatu. Attachment for turn as well. That's like so much in one supporter, like towards the late game, mid game, late game, right? All right, uh, we do Zatu. have a few other cards to look at <laughs> here. Moving on from the Zatu propaganda. Uh, they did release, you know, basic non-EX versions of all the Ruin Pokemon, the Wochian, Chiyu, Chienpao, and Tinglu. Any of these you want to talk about? None of them seemed, like, amazing to me. Chienpao's actually, like, maybe a decent one-prizer to play in 
uh, Baxcalibur deck, but besides that, I don't know. I think there might be better options already currently. Baxcalibur yeah. itself is one thirty like for option. three seems like a pretty normal yeah. thing, right? The um, Chiyu, I think, like is also something that could be like an okay one prize or something like that. Fifty plus for two fire. Maybe. If any of your Pokemon were knocked out by damage from an attack during your opponent's last turn, this attack does ninety more damage. So like this maybe could be okay. But, but the two incredible. important cards, which yeah. we've had in the past and we're getting now basically reprints of are the technical machined de-evolution evolution now the de-evolution one attach this card to one of your pokemon uh oh we know that de-evolve for one colorless energy you can use this as an attack on the pokemon it's attached to well no 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 no, no. Um, read the first oh, that part. is important yeah yeah, yeah. uh attaches one of your pokemon slow that, down pokemon when you read it <laughs> attaches to one of your pokemon in play that pokemon may use this card's attack instead of its own and then you discard it at the end of your turn so it is like a you can't just like set it up and play leave it in play to use later if you're playing research or something like that it's gotta come into play and if you don't take advantage of it that turn it does get discarded um so they are a little bit limiting in terms of their potential effectiveness uh, both of them have that same uh text and then de-evolve all of your opponents evolved pokemon for one colorless energy by putting the highest stage evolution card on them into their hand uh, now this is one card that people were kind of losing their minds over just like the iron hands where they are feeling like this is too powerful you hate evolution Pokemon. Why are you doing this to us? But this one, I think specifically, is nothing to kind of lose your mind about. It's a tool card, so it's impossible to find. That's not true. We have Town Store. It requires your attack for the turn. Arvin and would like a word with you. <laughs> and you <laughs> definitely won't be drawing a prize card because your attack is de-evolving your opponent's Pokemon. I think this kind of just forces potential people to have to play. Well, you are like taking a, a prize card if the damage is already on that. True, true. But only one prize card, right? You're getting one prize card instead of just two 8K in the Pokemon and getting well, two. Well, unless you've right? been, you know, lost mining all over the place for two turns. I have Jirachi on my bench. I don't know. I don't know about you, but I got, <laughs> <laughs> I got Jirachi and Mandafi on my bench and Soul Rock and Lunatone. Um, but yeah, I think this one people are just like, like I think it's just a, it's potentially a cool card to have for like one prizer decks to be honest more so than anything and of course the big one prize deck right now is lost box yada 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 but you know we got to think about the future and i think hopefully that's what they're thinking about with the printing of not just these cards but all the cards they're printing is like what is it how are we gonna make the most fun format with cool interactive cards you know when rotations start to hit and we lose battle vip pass and lost on and stuff like that so think think another future into the future <laughs> so i think this one uh, this is another card that people are making a big hub about where they're thinking it's like too good killing evolution decks but i don't know if you kind of commit your whole turn and some tool cards and find the tool card like you can make me decandy my charizard or whatever i'll just have a charmeleon on my bench and evolve back into the charizard yeah i do think this card is pretty good to be honest um yeah it's it's a reprint of ancient technical machine rock atm rock from way back in the day this card was very good in the 2004 2005 and 2006 formats maybe make spread um, decks good which to be honest Vespa, this is vespa queen's moment this is it yeah dude if your thought with this card is that it's going to be played <laughs> in vespa queen versus like with sableye you need some help but yeah i definitely i think that the place for this card is definitely going to be in lost box and i think it's going to be with sableye things try to target some of that stage two things jirachi can't hurt you jirachi is a lie uh, and uh, then we do have one more technical machine evolution, which I think is not as good. Yeah, evolution. Choose worse. up to two of your benched Pokemon. Search your deck for a card that evolves from each of those Pokemon, and put those cards onto them to evolve them. Then shuffle your deck. Now, the fact that this goes and gets two evolves two, two. is actually you know pretty good. Um, I remember back in like 2017 when Decidueye was doing really well when it had first come out uh, in Standard. 
I remember John Kettler after his NAIC second place finish when he got second place with Decidueye was talking about the world's format. I don't remember if it was in a video he was on with me or if it was in a video he was on with someone else, but he, uh, in talking about worlds, because a new set was legal for worlds that year, Burning Shadows was legal. He talked about the Diancy that was coming out in that set. Do you know the Diancy? Oh yeah. Cause it was in the, uh, yeah. the winning deck that let you search your deck for a Pokemon to evolve it and put it into play. He talked about that card and, uh, saying like, you know, it costs a fairy energy, but I've been looking for a card that did something like this for Decidueye. And Decidueye was a deck that just wanted to get four Decidueye in play. You just wanted to fill the board with these stage twos. Yeah. So if we have a deck at some point, I'm thinking maybe coming up like Venusaur EX or something like that, a big tanky Pokemon that yeah. you really get heavy value from by having a lot of them in play. I think that this is actually a card that could be really solid. I mean, think about like you're getting set up with your Mew with Mysterious Tail, and then you slap this on it and attack with it to use this attack to go get your, your board set up. I think this yeah. card's pretty solid, but pretty cool. it, it just has to be the right type of deck, which I don't know that we have right now necessarily. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Tougher. And also, like I said, tool, especially this is like more important to like find out of your deck early, right? The de-evolution one is like a late game card, which means you'll have time to find it. And tool cards are a little bit hard to find right now. Uh, and search yeah. out of your deck like there's no one's really committing constant cards and this is something you want to use like turn two right or turn one yeah. going second so yeah you either commit in arvin town stores four of these maybe even if it is that important to your evolutions online you could even play four and i don't think that'd be a bad idea like you said yeah get four four, four venusaur set up on like turn three turn four like that's a lot of healing to deal with right so i could definitely see it i think it would be cool it'd be cool to see a deck like that where you're just like so focused on getting your evolutions out with that being said i think that is all the new cards and azul i think that is all we have for this week's episode two weeks in a row of stupid long episodes we gotta try <laughs> to tighten things up here <laughs> well i don't think the listener i haven't seen any listeners complaining about how long the episodes are yet so maybe chip it's just you who has a problem with the long episodes yeah i mean especially when i look down at my clock and it's you know 12 15 a.m and <laughs> We got to record the bonus episode. Speaking of which, that's coming up. And then I got to upload all this. I got to edit the videos together. You know, it's it's it adds up as well. It adds up. I got a baby I got to wake up with in the morning, man. I don't quite have to go through that experience. myself. And it's also seven or nine o'clock for you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right. With that said, Chip, I think you got to send us out then. We're getting out of here. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. We really do appreciate the support. Thanks for sticking with us, and we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you want to stay connected with us, you can follow us over on – am I calling it X? Am I calling it Twitter? What do you want? Am Twitter. I, oh, just say Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. No, you sound like an old man stuck in his ways, though. Well, it just sounds so much better. Like, what do you think sounds better, X or Twitter? Follow us over on X. You can follow myself at Chip Ritchie. <laughs> You can follow Azul at Azul underscore GG, and you can stay up to date with the podcast as well by following us over at Uncommon underscore Energy. Thanks as always for the continued support. Azul, anything else to add? Nope, not too much. Good luck if you're going to Barcelona this weekend, especially Magnus and Owen. I hope <laughs> you go all the way. Maybe both of you win the tournament. That'd be even sicker. All right, and I'll catch you hopefully next Tuesday, but it's Probably going to nope. be a Wednesday episode. We'll see. Yep. Um, probably going to be a Wednesday episode again next week. We are planning to try and still keep it on Tuesdays. Just 
you know, sometimes we've just had a, a string of them be Wednesday episodes. We've both yeah. had stuff going on. We've both been traveling. We'll get back to the Tuesday grind eventually. Yeah, trying for Tuesday, especially because I'm trying to like fly back Sunday for most regionals. That's like the main hiccup is like sometimes they end up coming back Mondays. But look out for us Wednesday next week, Tuesday after that, 7 a.m. Eastern. Catch you then. Peace. <laughs>